0: We got riff-raff. No, no, nah, not that riff-raff. This riff-raff, we made this beat right here. Uh. Hey, we was fresh in the summer, now we fly in the fall. Mastermind expands as we rise. Stand tall, small fish. Big paw. Make moves. Move on. Director of the vibe, we live. New fitted hat. On. change land, unwind new info I scooped it for those that don't know I'm only slightly stupid I'm not falling for the okie dope nope I know what my worth is my greatest dope is new focus yes swimming upstream against a school of fishes and them they say your wishes a little less seen on the scene I cut my teeth in taking what I learned to where the sidewalk ends I think another league another arena to flex in gather my capital bring it back reinvest in our culture free let's Plant some new seeds Nurture the new growth And adjust the approach See? I'm not falling for the okey-doke Nope I know what my worth is My grade dope is Change land, acquire new info I For those that don't know I'm only slightly stupid I'm not falling for the okey-doke Nope I know what my worth is My grade up. What's going on? This is the Black Russian Podcast I am Tianbuku One
1: I am your love
0: and this is episode eight, the black episode, my origin story. and we Which are here. means
1: I get to control it.
0: Yep. Yeah, it I'm is so all, excited. All by our control. But first, let's recap the last episode, which was your origin story. Yep. How did you feel about it?
1: I felt you did a good job.
0: Yeah. Zero.
1: Everybody loved it. The input that I got was uh, people all excited. Some people said it was their favorite. Uh, which is funny to me, but I guess uh, even my friends that have known me for a long time and possibly have known a lot of stuff about me still thought it was their favorite.
0: So that was cool. Yep. Everyone can learn something new every day. Did you feel like you missed anything? Did we cover everything in your whole... No, we didn't (laughs) cover everything.
1: No, I felt, honestly, I felt like it was great for like the chronological development of me, right, but there's probably some ways to ask questions that would uncover some connections and things that would go deeper than just the chronological development of right.
0: me.: Yeah, and we can't you know we're trying yeah. to do this podcast longer than eight, eight episodes, so if we'd said everything that we could ever say. Well, then and then, then, then Denise
1: be, would kill us too so. It'd be done.
0: So. yeah. So that's that. I'm glad we did that. Now we do this. This is kind of wrapping up the f- first phase. We'll do a recap episode after this of all the first eight episodes. And we'll go into phase two. Um, but should we want to get in some quotes? Or do you want to go in? No. Do you want to go straight I, into I
1: actually got inspired today and do like, normally Tion does the opening statement that this is not about a particular style of relationships. And today I got inspired and got some fire in me, and I wrote an opening statement, so here goes. All relationships, including open relationships, are highly individualized and are based on the needs, understanding, and rules between people involved in the relationship, whether it's one, two, or three, or four, or five. There is no right or wrong, and there is no fair or unfair. What is unfair to you or maybe 99% of other people may not be unfair to me and may be beneficial to me and my relationship. Everyone deserves, deserves respect and freedom of choice and that includes the freedom of building your own relationship, setting up your own rules, and exiting when you feel you need to. And it goes both ways, from me to you and from you to me. There it goes.
0: Okay. So one of the big things that we learned in our experience of alternative style relationships is, you know, you have to be willing to agree to disagree and respect each other's opinions. I mean, it goes to any, any relationship style, but, you know, we try to be proactive with that. I mean, it's not always going to work out. It doesn't always work out for everybody. Um, and if it's not working out for you, you can just say it's not working out for you and the parties involved have to respect that, you know, they can ask why, they can ask for understanding, and it's, you know, most of the time, we it's shared, but after that, if the person's like, it's not working, it's not working.
1: No, I, you know, I've, uh, I think in my last couple of relationships, or, you know, the one, my marriage prior to this, and now, I think that I went into both uh with with an understanding that if i wanted to leave i could right and when yeah it does not always work out the the way that we think it's going to work out but at least uh you got to consider that like what's the exit strategy there's got to be one
0: yeah no i mean and you know like you think about it you know there have been many situations where you know a woman decides that the the relationship or the marriage is not working out, and you know it's her decision if it's not working for her to make that decision. The husband or the boyfriend can say, "Well, why? Can we talk it out?" But at the end of the day, if she's like, you know, I'm actually this is my final decision, the rightful thing to do is to respect that.
2: Yep.
0: Um, the last thing you want to do is to try to force them into a different situation that they don't want to be in. For one, it's not good for them. For two, why would you want to be in a relationship with somebody who, who's told you they don't want to be there? Yep. You know, um, And that happens, and what's happening to a lot of different friends of ours now um, with marriages and relationships and so on and so forth. So, yeah, so let's do that. Let's go into quotes.
1: So, okay, I'm flipping the script again. Oh, sorry. It is quotes, but uh, because that's kind of what I've been thinking about, you know, the whole... How relationships work What doesn't work What's the exit strategy My quotes today are all from uh, Marriage counselors And they're all in regards to Problems in marriage And when they are uh, When they're brought to counseling So I actually am going to go through all my quotes first And then you go through yours
0: That sounds fine
1: um, Alright Uh, the average couple that comes in for therapy has been struggling for about six years. This means they've been unhappy for much longer than they needed to be. One reason to get into therapy early is to get ahead of the curve and address issues before they become problems. There's a lot, a lot to it, how many people sit on the problems without wanting to address them. And they don't become problems until... We put time into that whole process. There's probably an issue at first. Right. You can deal with an issue a lot easier than you can deal with a problem. And problems sometimes are unsolvable, and that's when you go, you know what? There's nothing you can do about it.
0: Right, yeah.
1: Um, couples who reach out earlier for support when things are amiss often head off a caustic? Caustic? I don't know how Spell to Spell it. C-A-U-S-T-I-C? Caustic? Caustic? I don't know. Ugly pattern of hurting each other in ways that are hard to forget or forgive. Marriage therapists should be able to help partners identify the ways they express themselves when they're hurt or angry and to recognize how they may unintentionally put their partners on the defensive. That one's huge. I do it. Tion does it. We all do it. Uh, It's just learning to stop when we're doing it or catch ourselves. You know, we fight not to fight. That's exactly what we try to do. I know that when I say things in a certain way, he's going to get defensive. And he knows that when he looks at me in a certain way, I'm going to shut down. So, you know, I mean, we can only do it so many times. And then it becomes an actual
0: tangible thing that you start avoiding and, mm-hmm. and become, it grows. It becomes a wound and then we have knee-jerk reactions because you we would both anticipate these things happening and then it doesn't allow you to have faith in the other partner's ability to grow um, and neither of you can hold space to allow for trust and honesty and for bravery to grow and that's where yeah people pull apart.
1: So then the next quote goes into right, that. Uh, when issues remain unresolved, Resentment can create a large and ugly divide between two people. This often manifests in lack of empathy, disinterest, and at times, even disrespect. Go to therapy before arguments seem unsurmountable, because one or both of you have become apathetic. And, I mean, it's such, it's it's a process. It's, uh, you know, you would think that when we're getting together, when we're getting married, that, oh, that's never going to happen to us. And then something uncomfortable comes up and we choose not to deal with it. And then we choose not to deal with it again. And then we choose not to deal with it again. And then we get angry and we're still not dealing with it. And then it becomes this big thing. And then you're just like, forget it. I'm not even going to talk to this person about it. And then you're done. The marriage is done.
0: Yep. And by that point, a lot of times, um, so much erosion... Has been caused so much um, emotional exiting that by the time people get to a situation that maybe there's an affair that actually breaks the slumber and makes people actually face and have honest conversations, it's already too far gone um, yep. and it's beyond repair. People have just you know grown apart
1: so my last one, and I know I'm going for it just how it is sadly, one of the most common mistakes couples make is to shut their eyes and keep falling deeper into resentment and avoidance of growing distance, hoping things will just magically fix themselves. Most of the time, they don't. Don't waste time. Life is too short. Totally, fully, 100% agree.
0: Yep, and the realization is not every problem is going to be fixed. Not every marriage is meant to last forever. Um. One thing Esther Perel talks about, which I believe and feel is... We need to really redefine the definition of success of a relationship or of a marriage. The assumption, without thinking about it, is assuming that we're supposed to be married until we both synchronize, synchronized, die at the same time and end up in the grave at the same time, and that that and only that is successful marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, successful relationships don't have a specific time frame. Sometimes a successful marriage lasts five years, ten years, fifteen years, and through that time, you guys developed. And shared a ride and learned and, you know, made it to the point where now it's time to separate. Yep. And it doesn't mean that you failed. It just means that it's, people can grow apart. Um, and that's fine. And just because something transitions from one form to another or ends does not mean that you failed or anybody else failed or it was wrong or it's not fair. It's just in order for a relationship to continue two people must proactively be wanting to have it if one doesn't then the relationship ends in that form it it can't be forced to stay remain grow um and that's the reality you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them um
1: yeah no I, i i don't you know i don't look at my uh first marriage as a failed marriage i think it was actually really successful Uh, in terms of what I uh, learned from it, how we treated each other, what we produced from it, and how I still hold, you know, my first husband to very high regard and treat him as if he's my best friend. He's not around, but that doesn't change things. Mm -hmm. I've never looked at it as a failed relationship.
0: Yeah, if I had to define what would be the ingredients of a failed relationship, it would be not learning from it, not learning from any of the the highs, the lows, the mistakes, the the triumphs. Um, And the other one would be not being grateful for what it was and the purpose it served in your life.
1: Yeah, and just uh, maybe if the ending was rough, you'd be tempted to erase the whole thing everything that was good in it right. that, that would be failed
0: right yeah so keeping perspective like you know when things are hard things are tough and bad or they ended they didn't end the way you did it doesn't mean that everything that happened before them was was not real everything that happened that was felt was real and you know it doesn't mean all or none we have to get away from all or none um, and that there's one way to do it you know, everybody has their own way, and if we all can't agree on that way, then we have to disengage and go our separate ways. Um, so, my quotes are not as long. Um, they're they're kind of cool, they're cool enough. Um, what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. So, the patterns that we do each day, the routine that we do, the things that we r- routinely think, the feelings that we feel, are much more likely to continue if that's what we do every day versus every once in a while i feel great or every once in a while i treat myself to work out or every once in a while i you know yeah. so that's an important one um another one is art allows people a way to dream their way out of their struggle and that's uh you know it ties into my origin story because you know a lot of times we may not have everything we wanted or there were things that we lacked, but with creativity and music and art, it really took me around the world in places that I may have never gone if I wasn't engaged in music and the arts and hip hop culture. And then the third one by my man Chip Fu is be around people who feed your soul and not eat it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I know if I need I to. Side. Do I need? I don't even know if I need to go into any further no. explanation of that. No. So, no. all right, so I'll sit back and. Uh, Eula will take it away and I will respond accordingly.
1: All right, well, let's see what happens. Because this is your origin story, we kind of know a lot about how you are now. We're gonna try and get to how did you become that way? (laughs) (laughs) So let's start with your childhood. Where did you
0: grow up? Um, I grew up in a combination of Berkeley, Oakland, and Sacramento, um, Berkeley, Oakland was probably majority of my life, but I did spend X amount of years in Sacramento, and I don't remember how many.
1: Did <laughs> you erased it from your memories? I know that it was there.
0: I remember some places and some addresses, but you know, I would say for the most part, Berkeley is where my most formative years were, um, and it holds a place unlike any other place as my home.
1: How did your mom end up in Berkeley?
0: Um, I want to say she moved up to the bay from Sacramento Right. Um, when she met my dad. My dad was from Berkeley. My dad went to Berkeley High. I think they met sometime shortly thereafter or around then. And she was up here. The Panther Party was up here, the Black Panther Party. Right. So she ended up moving up here. I think they were to move we together. We really
1: need to get them in the room together. Yeah,
0: we'll, we'll do like mom and dad's origin oh, stories. Wow. Yeah. yeah, with a moderator. Yeah, you know. I don't know, by the time I was born, she was already here. Right. Okay. So <laughs>
1: and your dad is like was born in a bay.
0: My dad was born and raised in Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah, so he's he's deep deep Berkeley. Yeah. yeah. Berkeley, Berkeley, Berkeley.
1: So tell us a little more about your mom and then about your dad. Who who's your mom?
0: Um my mom was the everything. Like growing up my mom was my mom and my dad. Like my mom and dad separated very early. I think it was before I was 2. Um so I was raised by my mom and my mom was my mom and my dad and everything else and she was a cool balance of you know loving and caring and sweet loving and caring should I say and tough love. You know there was she wasn't completely rigid but what she was rigid about she was rigid about um, and there were sayings like, because I said so, and don't talk back to me, and God don't like ugly. <laughs> and all God the... don't like ugly. Yeah, like, if, like lying, cheating, or oh, stealing, I you like know. Ugly. Not like okay. physically right. ugly, that'd be. <laughs> um, you know, but she did it all. I mean, I really didn't know what a dad was supposed to do until I became one, I guess, and started trying to do it. But, um, you know, we were, we were lower middle class. Or, like, upper-lower class. <laughs> right. You know, like... I mean,
1: we, you guys struggled
0: in Yeah, and out. yeah we struggled. Yeah. Um, she, she created an environment, though, where I really didn't feel like we struggled. Yeah. Like, you know, like, if I wanted something bad enough, you know, it may take six months, but I get it. Um, and it was just cool. Like, I don't know. I didn't really have um, any crazy trauma with the struggles. Um, there was times when she was working, and I was probably, like... Nine or ten or eight or nine when I was at home by myself, or I come home by myself, but yeah, that's you know not
1: unusual yeah. I mean, that, that's now it's unusual,
0: yeah, so you know it was it was cool, I mean, you know I had a lot of friends, I was a social um you know she it was cool not having the male energy that early because I was allowed to be all of me. I could be you know macho and goofy, but I could cry. And I, right. there was never any time when I was sad or frustrated when I cried where I had any feelings of, like, I shouldn't be crying.
1: What about your uncles? You have a lot of uncles.
0: Yeah, the uncles would come around and, you know. Clown you. <laughs> they would clown me in different ways. But, um, you know, there was never, like, this hard line. Right. You know, there was never, like, this hard line, like, you have to be this, that, and the third. They well, may. they're
1: all easygoing. I mean, their yeah. uncles are all You know,
0: they, they, would, they would, you know, torture me in their own special way. But right. not in a... Not, a, not in, a, in like a, a trauma-creating <laughs> torture, but, you know, um, you know, do things like I couldn't swim until we go camping and they put me on their shoulders and walk out as far as they could and drop down. Like right. things like that. So, right. you know, I mean, it was traumatic for me to where I didn't want to get anywhere near water around most of them for a long period of time. But, you know, it was, it was cool. We, there was a lot of cool things. Everyone, all my uncles were, were creative and funny in their own special ways and played a role in my life.
1: So, could you get any cereal you wanted to?
0: I could not get any cereal that I wanted to. And what were the rules
1: with cereal? Well,
0: you get one box at a time. That was right. the rule. You get one box at a time, and you know until that box was done, there was no other box coming in. So,
1: there was just one box of cereal one in box, the house?
0: One box of cereal in the house.
1: And yeah. your definition of success was
0: what? Well, my definition of success was one of the things on my bucket list was like when I could have Hella cereal, hella boxes of cereal in my cupboard. That was like, that was part of like definition of making it. Yeah. And you can have just like five boxes of cereal. And it was just like, that was.
1: So you, know, you were there when I started, when you and I started spending time.
0: Yeah, that was, that was one of the, one of the things that was checked off. Ah, yeah. was like, you know, cereal.
1: You didn't need any more help. You had cereal.
0: Right. I mean, you know, if I could get, if I could get hella boxes of cereal, I could get anything. Yeah. That was Good. kind of the
1: feeling. You were on of like, the way. Yeah. yeah the so, this, so this reminds me of this article that I showed you that, and we talked about that says that the, the way that the person describes their life mm-hmm. shows whether or not they're gonna be successful in life. Right. So you come from what many people would say You know, we can call it upper-lower class. We can call it poor. We can call it whatever we call it. But it's probably on the more poor side. Right. Nothing that you ever tell me has any negative connotation of your childhood. Like, your childhood sounds like you were pretty happy.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's true. Like, I really, you know, I, I look back and there's no... You know, there was no overwhelming theme that was negative. There was no excessive stress. My mom managed stress very well. I think it was because she was one of the oldest of nine kids, and she took care of everybody from such an early age that, um, you know, by the time it was just me and her, it might have been a vacation. <laughs> it would have just been a, a easier part of the process, you know?
1: But you, always, you also, I think, just from hearing how you talk about it and knowing what your goals in life... Uh, and how much of your goal in life is to help uh your mom be free and enjoy life. That uh, you knew exactly what she was doing and how much she was uh how much she was doing for you.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. I mean that's definitely um from very early age like I knew that she you know took care of everybody and my brother, you know, was having his struggles in and out of jail for a long, long time and so um, I just saw very early that she was handling everything, and she did it with, you know, she did it where it didn't. She never, I never saw her break. I didn't see her cry until ten years ago or fifteen years ago. So um, I just saw like she's doing so much that part of my core motivation to develop, to be as funny or as goofy or as smart or as um, as good of a skater, as good athlete or whatever, was so that way I could be a better service to my mom. So that way I wouldn't be a burden, I wouldn't be an added um, weight on her shoulders. And I think that became just my core motivation in life in general to be of service to women. Um, And it just transferred from my mom to just women in general. Um, So it played a huge role in that, seeing my mom handling all that and knowing that I really wanted to um, do what I could to make that part of her ride easier. Yeah.
1: What about your dad?
0: Um my dad was you know not there. My dad was in LA trying to do his um second part of his music career and trying to I mean he was at that point he was dealing with serious alcohol issues. So I would go down to LA and visit him and stay in the summer for a couple of weeks. And it was the 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 fondest memories I had was well not the fondest the most vivid was you know, at that point, I was really into skating. I just started skating maybe a year or two before. It was about 11, 12. And, you know, in skateboarding videos, um, a lot of the schools that we'd skate in or that we'd see in the videos were all in L.A.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I knew the names of the schools and all these things. But so when I come down there, I have a list of schools and skate parks I wanted to go to. And um, he promised me we'd go and he'd be drinking and even though you know we'd catch the bus or whatever sometimes he would go and he would be drunk to the point where he couldn't remember where it was and mm-hmm. we couldn't find it or we would just not go um, and it became a point where I was just like oh damn like I don't even why do I go and a lot of times we'd spend time in the house and it would be cool because he's you know he was in a Black Panther party he had background sang for Marvin Gaye he was Native American deep into the Native American culture so he would tell me great stories and he would play drumming things and he'd beat me in dominoes and all this stuff that should have been very enriching in my life. But at that point in time, I just was like, well, you're drunk. So yeah. in, my, in my mind, I was like, you're drunk. Tell me this when you're sober. And I can So it became another theme in my life where, you know, whenever someone's that drunk, no matter what they told me, I'd be like, that's cool. But you're drunk.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess we can... And then, so you lost your relationship with your dad or kind of put it on hold?
0: Yeah, I just... At that point, I, I think from, like, 12 till maybe 17, 18, like, I really didn't go down to L.A. to, to stay with him. So he'd come up because his mom lived, in you know, up in Oakland. And so, you know, we'd see each other here and there. And, you know, he'd send me birthday cards and stuff. Um, and it was cool. Like, I never... I wasn't mad at him because the only time I was mad is when I'd go and we couldn't, do, we couldn't get nowhere. But once I wasn't there, I wasn't mad at him because my mom, she accommodated, she did everything. I really didn't, like, dad wasn't dad. Like, he was dad by name, but it wasn't dad by function. So the fact that he wasn't there didn't really change anything dramatically in my life.
1: So would you say that in the first... Half of your life, you learned most of what you learned from your mom and through your mom?
0: Yeah, I would say the majority of it was through my mom, um, and then with the assistance of cousins and uncles and aunts.
1: So did you learn anything from your dad at that time? No. But you also didn't get anything negative? No, no
0: nothing, nothing, nothing overly good, nothing bad. So that's, that's kind of a win a lot of right, times. Right. <laughs> like if, I, if, they, if my mom and my dad were together my dad was struggling with alcoholism um, who knows what good and what bad would have come out of that situation right. so it was not there so you know there was no conflict of my mom wanting to do it a certain way and my dad not wanting to do well, it I that way I th- guess
1: you were disdain for alcohol
0: th- well that was a lesson yeah I didn't like alcohol
1: yep you still don't like alcohol mm-hmm. so how much influence do you think your mom had on your
0: self-esteem? I think she's the foundation of all that I am. So, you know, she played a huge role. You know, her and my aunts and my uncles, my cousins played a huge role collectively, my mom being the most because that's who I was with most of the time. Um, You know, and I, you know, I never felt like I wasn't special I didn't feel like I was overly special. I felt like I was silly and goofy. Um, But I, you know, I didn't, yeah, I never had, I'm so fortunate, I guess, to not ever have any serious complexes about my self-esteem. You know, everybody treated me good. I didn't didn't have any uncles or cousins who just beat up on me all the time. I was tall enough or fast enough to where I didn't get bullied. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, it was either I was tall enough so people didn't choose to pick on me, or the ones that did, I was usually fast enough to get away from them. Um, but it was a healthy balance. you know. My, my, most of my cousins were older. One or two were younger. So there was a good balance to where like, I could be an alpha to my little cousins and I could not be to right. the other ones. And, you know, there's, But yeah, I mean, mom's played a huge role in my self-esteem. And you know, she's a good model for that. I think my mom has pretty decent self-esteem for the most part. <laughs>
1: well, your mom completely believes in you. I mean, I've known you for twenty two years and in that time she has done everything she possibly could do to support whatever it is that you thought you wanted to do. Yeah. Like I think that her belief in you is only surpassed by her belief in Deja.
2: Right.
1: Like Deja is now (laughs) higher than you on the right on that ladder. But right. you were, like, right up there.
0: Yeah, and it, it's interesting, because I, I, I think back, you know, of the early ages, and, like, I don't ever remember her saying anything directly, no, like... But she I, does
1: things. Like, she doesn't say things. Right, she right. will do things. It's a matter of energy yeah. and, and,
0: and, uh, and how she does things and, what she, and the way she does things. Because, you know, I remember, like, funny things earlier where she would like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd be like, well, I want to be a basketball player or a comedian. And she'd be like, well, tell me a joke. And i tell her a joke and she'd like, you should be a basketball player. <laughs> you know, that was like, You know, like things like that. She's a realist. Yeah. And she's, she's a, a total a... realist. Um, but yeah, it's really in, you know, the activity. Like if I yeah. wanted, if I needed a skateboard, you know, she would save up and put on a layaway. If there was layaway available mm-hmm. and I, you know, I'd have a skateboard. At some point, if I needed. And she didn't stop
1: you from skating. She didn't tell you that it's a stupid idea. You're wasting your time. Yeah. She didn't punish you for doing graffiti. No.
0: None of that. No. I mean, and that's you know. Well,
1: that's full respect. I mean, that's more than anyone can ask for.
0: Yeah, it's because i had very fortunate. You know, I mean, I got my butt whipped. I did get you know, I got spankings, and I got my fair share of of that. Uh, I I learned fairly early that it's, you know... Well, I learned a few things. First, The first thing I learned after getting ass whoopings was, like, it's best to not move around when you're getting ass whooping, <laughs> for one. yeah, I wouldn't know that. Because- I feel like
1: moving nah, and looking see, back.
0: Because what happens is, okay, so say you get in trouble, you lie, and you, you did something to your little cousin or whatever, and she's like, okay, go get me a switch. So a switch is a stick you find right. outside, you know, and you right. have to be a decent-sized switch. You couldn't get a little twig, you know. <laughs> and so then she'd be like, okay, you know whatever bend over or lay down I don't remember whatever but initially I'd be squirming so you're getting in the arms and the, and the legs and stuff like that and then eventually I realized that you should just lay there and get on the butt get on the butt it's fine you know and then you can just live with it but then the the best lesson that I learned later on was just to not to defy my mom <laughs> like it's easy there's a few core things that are that she's very clear about
2: right. to
0: not do and right. if I just didn't do those yeah. You know, so I learned, I learned by the time I was like 9 or 10, I was eh, maybe 10, 11. I was pretty much out of my, my ass whooping phase.
1: So did that translate into your learning how to
0: respect other people? Um, <laughs> Getting ass whooped by my mom? Or <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I, I, I had a healthy respect for my elders. I really didn't, I, I really wasn't the type that would talk back to elders or anything like that. Like I didn't talk back to my mom. Right, 'Cause you, you couldn't. Know, yeah, no, that wasn't I wasn't a part of the democracy wasn't a part of my my early <laughs> stages of growing up. <laughs> it wasn't really how it was ran. Um, but, you know, I just think she, you know, she did have strict rules about manners and obviously how your clothes looked. She was well, from clearly. She, she's we, from yeah. We learned so, about that. You know, you think about it, she's from a generation to where you know coming out of the civil rights era like black people if you wanted to be respected you had to like really be sharp you had to be on your stuff you couldn't be out there looking like a slob Mm -hmm. so they took a lot of pride in how they dressed i mean the ironing of the pants and the clothes make it all creased up You know, make sure you had your good church clothes. If you ever... You know, all that. Like, you had... like It meant so much to them. Plus, you couldn't
1: afford a lot lot of clothes. So, what you had had to be taken care of. Right.
0: So, you know, coming from that... Like, you know, like, I had... Like, I mean, there's baby pictures, which... I don't know if we'll find too many posts on the, on the Instagram, but maybe we'll post a couple. But like, she'd give me the tightest like leather leather jeans. I'd be like the eight year old like, leather jeans, <laughs> like the sweaters and like looking like a young Teddy Pendergrass or, or like a Freddie Jackson, like some 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 soul singer from the Whispers or something at the age of like six. Um, but yeah, I mean, I you know, I I had manners, you know. Um, one of the early early things I, I remember before her mom passed away she died of cancer when I was pretty young but I remember when she was around we'd have dinner and she'd be like you know you can't leave the table until you eat your
2: broccoli you know
0: broccoli or cottage cheese or whatever and I would literally just sit there and just totally be entertained in my head and just be like alright we'll just kind of hang out until you <laughs> so know so then what it would get mad and send me to my room
1: yeah so but would, then the next day you'd get the food that you'll eat
0: well I, yeah i mean was, you know, uh, you're only going to do that so many times before you realize you're racing you're wasting food <laughs> and my will to sit there and not eat it is stronger than your desire to out sit there with me and keep wasting food
1: so why do you think you don't do that to deja and the other kids
0: um i'm just i wasn't born in that era where you eat what's on your plate
1: well but you were made to or they tried well, to well, make yeah you. but they failed So, you know,
0: like, you know, we, we supposed to take it one step beyond and kind of refine and modify from what our parents did. Um, You know, and they were, they were in a circumstance much different than I was growing up. Um, And, you know, I'm sure in order for my mom to get where she was, she probably had to move it further from where her mom was, you know, I mean, you can only imagine how far, you know, strict that was, but um, yeah, I was allowed to be picky. You know, that's so awesome. that's a part so of your empowerment. mom didn't
1: do that to you? Only grandma?
0: Grandma did that. I think mom was kind of like, yeah, yeah okay, it's whatever. Not gonna, it's not going to work. Let him, let him let him yeah. live, right.
1: Good. Funny she's learning how to let Deja dress in whatever clothes yeah. she wants to wear.
0: Slowly. <laughs> it's a slow process. I mean, you know, it's, even to this day, a lot of times, she'd be like, I mean, not to this day, but like 20 years ago or 15 years ago, like, you know, I'd be going out to whatever show. She'd be like, oh, you can take that off. Let me iron that.
2: Yeah.
0: She'd be, you know, she'd be ironing clothes and stuff. And,
1: and now look at you. I mean, yeah, no I, one irons your clothes. Nope. Terrible. No. Terrible. Terrible. Wr- wrinkles. She knew it style. was going to go down. Yep. Terrible. Like, it was can't all trust, bad. All can't trust there. the Russian. Nope. All right. So now let's talk about your middle school and high school years. So how was your middle school?
0: Um, middle school was awesome because I started skateboarding in sixth grade. Okay. So, how did you
1: start skateboarding?
0: I don't remember. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you know, okay. You know what? Yeah. I, I think what it was is there were some older kids on my block and they skated. I think I got a chance to like ride one of their boards and it was different than like the boards, the toy boards that just kids had. I'm like, what? what? this rolls faster and it's like, you know and then I realized there was a difference between skateboards as a toy, like a, like a pogo stick right. you get at Kmart and a skateboard from a skate shop and so I saw them, they had ramps down the street they would kind of not let us skate but so there was a couple younger of us there we all kind of just started to get together so it was me and, and one Filipino Filipino, wow oh. one Filipino his uncle, who helped us build ramps and then two Puerto Rican brothers and that was our clique and so, yeah, we started in '87. So, so I was your 11.
1: mom, like, you talked to your mom into getting you. A yeah, somehow she
0: saved up some money and got me a skateboard. And uh, yeah, for those of you skate, my first skateboard was a Vision Gator board. And so, he has a whole different story, but that's. But right. yeah, so so my, you know, back then there was no middle school. It was elementary school, which went to sixth grade, and junior high, which was seventh and eighth grade. Right. Um. So. Middle school, well, let's say elementary, let's go to elementary. So from second grade, I remember when I moved, we moved back from Sacramento, and um, the school that I went to was Craigmont, which is mm-hmm. one of the schools we went to programs at, and I came late into the school year, and there was only room for me in the bilingual class. And so, like, that was the only place I could be. So in second grade, I was in a bilingual class, and that's where I learned that I was part Mexican, <laughs> not by blood, but by, you know, association. So I learned the El Jarabe Tapatio dance. Like I learned the whole, with the mariachi fits and the whole girls. Um, and I learned Spanish. Wait, wait,
1: wait, are there pictures? In mariachi you know, in I don't absence? know
0: if those ever surfaced, but awesome. so I remember that. And that, you know, in that year, we had a journal every day. And I wrote in my journal, like, every day. And that's where I wrote, you know, my first, my, the, the, my favorite music that I first got was Run DMC, Raising Hell. I bought, bought a tape. What year was that? <sighs> what grade were you in? 83, 84. What grade were you in? Second grade.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah. And so I got Raising Hell. Like my, I said, See, there you go. I guess mom was liberal. Lib, 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 All right. Liberal. Well, she was probably listening to it. So, you know, I got Run DMC, Raising Hell. Or in the rock box. And then I actually have in my journal, like, one of my favorite songs is called Basketball by Curtis Blow, because I mm-hmm. could play basketball, you know. And so I remember that stuff. I remember we did our own cookbooks, and I did, like, smashed potatoes. Yeah. So I didn't know what mash was. Um, oh. But those were cool. Like, that was good. Third grade, I moved into a different school, but I stayed in bilingual schools. And third grade was where I discovered love and girls. Mm, That's where
1: Deja is now. Right.
0: So this is the origin story where you're like,
2: you have been loving.
0: But like, you know, now now remember before third grade, I had this deep desire to find ways to please my mom. Right. So, and then I discovered girls and I started having crushes on girls and writing love letters and giving chocolates and chocolates being thrown in the garbage and stuff. Mm. And, you know, um, but yeah, that was when it started in third grade.
1: Do you remember
2: the first
0: girl you had a crush on? Yeah, I think the first girl I had a crush on was a girl named Sochi Rios, and it's funny because if I post them, maybe I'll tag her in it, and she can <laughs> she's still <laughs> she's still around. Um, but yeah, like I, I gave her chocolates. That should be my Valentine, and she said no, and threw the chocolates in the trash. But oh,
1: she could have eaten them. I know, what? I know.
0: That's what I tell her. At least eat them. But yeah. but it's you know,
1: poison in them though.
0: So, you know, I experienced that, but that was when I really started, like, being a super lovey-dovey dude. I was never macho, so it was never, like, this Macadocious. It was, like, this it's softy. And plus, you know, my older cousins and uncles were, it's a lot of, that was the era of, like, slow jams. Like, you had hip-hop music, but you had slow jams. Like, you had New Edition and Romance. Rick Jams. And, yeah, like, Love Letters on the radio, where it's, like... 105.9, 105.9 would you like to make a dedication yeah I'd like to make a dedication to my girl Lil Pookie, we going through some things but I really hope she going to listen to the song can you please play Tender Love by Force MDs oh you know that's coming right up my man, sometimes you just got to hang in there man. you know she loves you, deep. you know so you listen to that you're making your tapes and shit so like you know making love letter tapes like just tapes and you, you dedicate them and you send them and you play on the radio you know whatever, so that was the beginning right. so third, fourth all that, just a lot of, I had a couple girlfriends holding hands, you know, it was a hold hand era. Yeah. Nothing more than that.
1: No, well, that's scary, God yeah. knows. Well. Um,
0: fifth grade was when I had my first kiss with Monica Torres. It was all Latinas, it was all Mexicans at that point. Like Sochi was, and Monica Torres was, and I remember we like kissed and we like put nose to nose and just kind of be like, Ew. like licking lips and whatever <laughs> it was. She would come Wait, over before what school. Grade was fifth grade.
1: Oh okay.
0: So you know, so that's pretty much, you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever. And then junior high came in and that was like, you know, super hip hop era. I started skating in sixth grade right at the end. So then, right. you know, by the time I got into junior high I was full skater dude, vision streetwear, like skater dude. And like in Berkeley at the time, there was an era right before that where a lot of the black dudes skated in the hood. Like a lot of the thugs skated, but then they stopped skating. So then they'd act like they never skated before, and then they'd be dissing you, be like, yo, skater dude! You know, like, try to take your board, and you have to be like, dude, you'll mess up your shoes! And that was, like, the way you'd get people to not take your board. Right. Because you'd show them your shoes, and your shoes would be all messed up. Right. So they would, like, not mess with it. But they, you know. So it was kind of, it was not as common to be black skating in Berkeley and Oakland at that time. But they didn't mess with you. They, some of them would. they try to chase you or be like, yeah, skater dude! Like, you know... that's a white boy sport and you know all that stuff but uh, you know so it was cool Um, I had girlfriends but I think most of my girlfriends that I had um, were because of my humor and my my
1: so were you like a class clown
0: kind of I didn't act up, though. I wasn't, I wasn't a bad kid. I wasn't class clown beyond. Like, I had a good... I wanted a good grades. I don't I want to get in trouble with my mom. But, right. you know, I, I had jokes. I tried to be a cool dancer, dude, too. And I, but I, just, I don't know. I think I was more funny than cool. <laughs> and back then, like... Oh, the, well,
1: those ears that you
2: had. Yeah, yeah It was kind yeah. of hard to be cool. I was slim yeah. with
0: some big ears. I mean, my body grew in, purport, in portions. It was, like, oh, legs, right. then ears, and, <laughs> you know. Um, but at that time, in, like, junior high... All the sexy dudes were like the light skinned dudes with dimples and green eyes right like that was in Ooh. vogue, like you know those ones were like little gold chains some your car noir, some cool water right, cologne right. or like the pretty boy white boy with like the feathered hair like
2: right,
0: right. like the dark dudes were not cracking so did you try to fit in? i couldn 't get light skinned there was no <laughs> matter what I could do I was like, no nah, i mean I, I tried to be uh, you know as cool as I could be, but I just wasn 't in vogue, and I think that was the beginning of um me being since I was raised in a situation where I was so hyper-conscious of my mom and, and women's feelings, I naturally became really close to girls. and I became, like, their best friend and their, you know, and and from the very early age, from third, fourth grade, I started really paying attention to how men and how boys and girls communicated in relationships, how they didn't and all that stuff. So I was very fascinated by it. Um, and I guess at that age, not many men were. <laughs> Well there was hormones. Boys, yeah. yeah. I guess they weren't there boy, they weren't men yet. There were men the boys, boys too. Yeah. So, you know, I ended up having these conversations and started like, you know, giving advice to girls like why why are they treating me that way? I don't know why. I am like, you know, I don't know, but you know, maybe he's having a hard time, but you deserve better. And they're looking at me like, You deserve yeah. better. <laughs> they'd be like, Oh, thank you. You're such a good friend. And so that's when I learned the friend zone. I really learned the friend zone like sixth grade, sixth seventh grade.
1: Through work. what grade? Fuck,
0: forever. Till now. No, not till now, but, dude, pretty much all through school, I would say. I didn't emancipate myself from that till like, 97. I graduated oh, in wow. high school in 94. But I was always the fly girl's best friend because I was the one that would take the time to care. And the bad boys were in vogue. So if you're a bad boy and you didn't communicate well, that was almost sexier. And right. I still kind of lightweight sometimes feel like, oh, yeah, for you know, sure. if I'm I too mean, helpful, still, yeah. yeah, if I'm too helpful... Or I'm too knowledgeable, yeah, yeah, I'm too wise, it's like, ah, yeah. oh, you know, it's just, yeah, no, there's no mystery for yeah. this guy. He's like, he's not going to punch me, he's not going to gonna me, out, not gonna yeah. yell at me, he's not going to do anything passive-aggressive. This is, what is this? You know, like, I'll be like, damn, like, sometimes I'll be like, man, I should throw in a word bitch every now and then or something weird. Or like, <laughs> raise my hand like I'm going to slap somebody so they can be like, oh, okay, maybe.
1: Or play some games.
0: Yeah, or play some games, but I just never could do that. Like, if I liked somebody, I would tell him. And probably write them a four-page letter about why I like them, which might have been a little too much. But, you know, I didn't know. I had no gauges. So I probably put a lot of extra on it, too. Like, I really yeah, yeah, yeah. ended up being a friend for not only the yeah. reasons because of them, but I, I probably did a really good job at making sure yeah. that I was going to be that friend to the end. Yeah. Um, and so, I got
1: some of that from the tail end.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it was cool. I wasn't... I had enough girlfriends to where I didn't feel like I was completely missing out, but I definitely know I expended a lot of energy on being there for girls who probably didn't really appreciate me. Mm -hmm. Um, But skating and hip-hop were plenty, and I was, you know... Like, my esteem was decent, so, you know, I didn't... It was cool, like, it didn't... uh,
1: So was there a change from middle school to high school in how you were, or who you were? Mm, Not
0: dramatically. I mean, in high school, you know, ninth grade, you're kind of all... Trying to figure it out, all melancholy. Um, one of our one of my really good friends, Garalua, um, was supposed to go. I went to I went to Albany High. All my friends at the Brookby High, and my mom got me a chance to transfer to Albany, which is smaller. So I went, and I found out one of my homegirls was gonna be there too. So we're in like the, you know, the first period or whatever, and they're calling her name, and she's not there. And like, what the hell's like You know, what's going on? And then later on, they pulled a couple of us out who they knew were friends, They said that she died in a car accident coming back mm. from Mexico. Um, and so, that, you know, ninth grade was kind of a trip. Um, I was real emo. You know, I was like, I was real soft. I had like my little shaved head with like a little tuft of hair <laughs> in the front of my head, dyed red. Aww. Uh, I probably had some friendship bracelets and I was probably writing some weird poetry oh, yeah. and just trying to, you know, figure it out because I was still skating. And so, my life, my my soundtrack was a crazy mix of like, you know, hip hop. Soul, um, and like Primus, like
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Dri, and like all these like punk bands and videos, skate videos, and then like you know Expose and Cover Girls and Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam and Debbie Gibson and Tiffany. Like it was, I was all over the place. Um, Yeah, so
1: when did you start um, doing graffiti?
0: I started doing graffiti in '91, which would be. I think the end of my freshman year. End of my freshman year, and. Uh, How did to
1: get into
0: that? Well, that was funny. I had a, a friend of mine. Was like we'd go to parties and he'd always have a can of paint and we'd leave and he'd just start writing on shit. I'm like, I should clown him. Like, why do you write? You write on this Like, why are you doing this? This is stupid. And he was like, I don't know, it's just fun. And I was like, that's not a good enough answer for me. So I just clown him. And then one time he's like, Dude, try it. And so like I don't even know what I wrote, but I was like, ooh <laughs> <laughs> It's kinda fun. You know, like just
1: like just like wrote it.
0: Yeah, you just, yeah, just like, and so that's what we do, we come home from parties and you write on shit. Um and did you ever get
1: arrested at that time? No. That, no yeah.
0: Not at that time. And um Not at that time. All the arrests came later. Yeah, it came a little later. Um but you know, it was just one of those things like, Wow, this is this is kinda neat and then I have this the, you know, there's one thing about me that I hate being weak at something I love. Yeah, no kidding. So the minute that I got, like, in it, in it, I was like, dude, my shit's horrible. <laughs> like, I can't keep just doing this like this. So, you know, oh. I, I started looking at other people's stuff, like, with better colors and, like, actually doing pieces and stuff. And I was like, I got to figure this out. But I'd never been artistic by nature. Right, like, my right. mother and my brother and my, my mom could all draw. I, that's not my talent. Right. Um, And so I would start doing rooftops. And like shit really far away or way high up, so you couldn't see up close. She <laughs> so kind of creates some distance, some illusion, like, you know, it was fresher than it was. That's good. Um, but yeah, so that was like 91. Um, but, you know, skateboarding was my universe. I got sponsored in 90. So through high school, I was sponsored. 91, when I got into graffiti, it kind of um, spliced my focus a little bit, but I was still super mega skateboarder dude. Like, so you know.
1: when did you start feeling like you had this drive to
0: succeed? Um, well, I guess my first you know thing was like in sports. like well, I grew up playing sports, and I was decent at all these different sports. I played basketball, football, baseball. I never played team sports because I ended up getting into skateboarding so early. but I still played all those sports at school. I just didn't play for a team. Um, and, I, and then skateboarding is my first thing I really, really, really focused on the where I went from like. You know, being weak to getting better to getting better to getting better to feeling like I could progress at that, so um i that was just my I think that's part of just my nut my drive just built in it's kind of I hate being weak at something I love
1: so did you think
0: hold on a second, pause. okay, we're back. My <laughs> daughter came in, she discovered something on the internet she didn't yeah, probably no. want to see
1: yeah, she did not like that
0: mm.
1: Well, we'll give her a lot of freedom. Sometimes it backfires. Well,
0: you know that's how you learn.
1: Yeah, <laughs> don't go there.
0: All right. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So
1: we were talking about your drive to succeed. Right. Did you? So, do you remember when you decided that you wanted to be successful in life, not just at a particular thing that you were doing?
0: Um. You know. I don't know if it was a conscious decision to be successful in life, but I, it was definitely a desire, an aspiration to not be broke. Right. Um, that's pretty much the core. And help your mom. Yeah. Well, you want to you wanna free your mom up so she's not stressed out and worried about finances. Because as you get older, you start to get a little more um, aware, a little more aware of things. Um and it's not like you. Had, I had more conversations with my mom about finance, but you just kind of pick up on more. You're a little more keen.
1: Well, and then your mom had an aneurysm when you were in high school.
0: Yeah, and that was.
1: So that was probably a dividing my, line. My
0: junior year. So yeah, so my junior year, like I was sophomore. Yeah, my sophomore junior year, I was in Southern California skating with my sponsors, and my mom's like, "Yeah, I'm having headaches, but don't worry about it. They're just gonna." Oops just going to, you know, I'm going to go to the hospital and whatever. Next thing you know, she's at surgery. And next thing you know, you know, like my auntie's like, yeah, you know, your mom had a brain aneurysm and you know, I didn't even know what that meant, but it sounded pretty serious. They had a brain surgery. Um, <clears throat> and she was, you know, when she called cause she, you know, she, my mom is so prideful. She would be like, don't worry about it. I'm All fine. Right. But her speech was slurred
2: yeah.
0: and it was like crazy. I mean, it was just like, all, I was at that point in time like I tell people like at that point in time if my mom would have died I would have been a wreck because I was so connected and codependent on her Yeah. Um, and it, and, it, and that was a turning point in my life where I realized like my mom is not getting any younger and she's not going to be with me forever so I need to learn how to not be so codependent on her and, and start figuring out ways to become more independent so that way I could appreciate her and not need her to the point of being a detriment. So I think that was a really huge change in my life. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, it was like, you know, I did what I did, but there was no mega drive. It was just like, you know, my mom takes care of things and she's good and I'll just right, do my right. best. But to assist her and make things easier for her, but then that was like, holy shit, Like she could be gone. Right. And then what would I do?
1: So how did that change what you wanted to do
2: in life?
0: Um, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew um, mentally and emotionally I needed to start shifting and find a way to um, be more responsible for myself and be able to appreciate my mom and not just be so needing. Because a lot of times when you need somebody, you don't really appreciate them. Mm -hmm. Because you need them. It's like, like you know... So I just maybe just had to reflect. It I'm, you know I'm a very anal Virgo and I think a lot, so I've been thinking a lot forever. So that time I really started really thinking a lot. Um, and let, let's go back. I think I was tenth grade because in in my junior year I went to Berkeley High. I went back to Berkeley High. I think and I wanted to graduate mm-hmm. with my my folks. But in that time and at that time it was right after the Rodney King verdict and the riots and stuff. And so. Berkeley has always been a, um, a hotbed for activism yeah. and protests yeah, and everything political. like that. Mm-hmm. So, And I was a mix of both because, you know, I had a lot of my folks were black. My family grew up Black Panthers and I'm a skater dude. So a lot of my skater friends are white. So when I went to Berkeley High, at that point in time, everybody was segregated. Like the blacks were hanging out over here. The whites would hang out over there. The lat- my Latino homies would hang out over here. And there was what we call the 5% of people in the park who were like the hippie skater, transient, just different people. Mm-hmm. And I, did, I fit in all of those and none of those at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so pretty much what I did is I just started hanging out by myself a lot more. I had Diggable Planet's first album, uh, Refuting Space and Time, and that became my best friend mm-hmm. for most of that year. And that's when I really started to reflect on why it is I do what I do. And that was a big pillar. So kind of my mom triggered the first part and the second way. was like, okay, why do I do what I do? You know, you know, um, do I treat women the way I do because I've consciously thought about that or it's because what everybody else does? Or do I go and say these things because... I've consciously thought about that. That's what I want to say, or I just do it because everybody else does. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where so I that's
1: when you started on your process of being very conscious about what you do.
0: Right, that was when my first, the beginning of my journey, of knowledge of self came in. Was, you know, who am I? Why do I do what I do? And started taking inventory and making sure that what I did was something I consciously chose to do. Um, you know, and so I would, my first things I would analyze is why do people drink? You know, because I was like whenever my friends would talk about what they did that weekend or whatever, they'd be like, yo, I went to this party and I got fucked up. And it was like, yo... And, I'm like, w-, like, and I was like, why is that associated with a good time? Like, why is getting fucked up associated mm-hmm. with a good time? Like, if I go skateboarding and I fall down the hill and I got fucked up, it was never a good thing. Um, and I already had the predisposition of not liking alcohol. Right. Um, I had, you know, I had a play brother at the time who spent, like, six, eight months in jail because... His girlfriend or a girl he hooked up with or whatever accused him of rape. Mm-hmm. But then I also had girls that did get raped.
2: Yeah.
0: And so there was so much destruction around alcohol. That, that was my first analysis. was like, why do people drink? Why do they associate that with a good time? And when I'd ask people, they'd be like, but why even you even this question? Like, who cares? Like, because it's like... Because
1: yeah, so, it's cool. It's fun.
0: Yeah, and that was not good enough for me.
1: Yeah, well, then that's, that's when you started to separate from he appears and you know because by the time i met you you were obviously a very different kind of kid yeah. you were still a kid but you were a very different kind of kid right like most kids do not <laughs> do not think about those things
0: yeah and i started in my junior year so right. like so junior year fully into that and i just be, that's when i started like be, becoming super mega ultra aware mm-hmm. um, of these type of things. Is that and
1: also the year that you first had sex?
0: I had sex th- summer of 10th going into the 11th right. grade. so same time Yeah, frame. just about the time. So time it was frame.
1: conscious sex.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> everything I did with a woman was conscious. Well. I was very aware. Yeah. I was very yeah. sensitive. Yeah. No, but my, my first was a trip because, you know... This this woman, I keep saying woman like this girl, I can say girl. Hey, hey. So the girl at the time, like had just come out of uh abusive relationship where she pressed charges and he was in jail.
1: Wow. How old was she? She was she 16? older? Sixteen, no. Oh. Same age. Oh jeez.
0: So and she was white and she lived in deep East Oakland, like by Coliseum Bart. And it was not gentrified back then. It was right. straight hood, but you know, her mom, her mom and dad were artists, and like this, like you know, warehouse thing. So it was, and the mirror said it was racially, very racially divided at the time in Berkeley and Oakland. Like, oh yeah. yeah so yeah. like, dude, walking around holding your girlfriend's hand um, was risky.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, in Berkeley, but very risky in East Oakland. Yeah. So there'd be times when I catch Bart to go meet her, and she'd be like, "Do you want to meet me at Bart?" And I'm like, "Nah, you stay home." All right. Like it's easier for me to just walk and get to you than right. us, you walk with me at night. So there, I mean, there was naturally times when you walk, and when you see got around a, a group of black folks, you just be like, just detach.
2: Right. You know,
0: so it was crazy, like, intense. So, all that's going on, all this energy's going on in, in Berkeley, Oakland, and so, you know, she's had this situation. So we didn't have sex for a while. We were just kind of hanging. Because I was just like, you know, I don't want to co- cause any type of anything. I was just so hypersensitive of not causing any type of bad feelings so finally you know we we're jo- we we're over at my auntie's house and um i was you know probably joking around like you know you might as well just have some sex and she's like oh yeah for sure yeah And i'm like oh <laughs> and i was kind of like no 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 baby you know what you know what we could wait like no no i don't want I and she's like no it's fun, yeah let's do that and i was like oh shit
2: no what do i do
0: so i was totally like f- like i wasn't prepared for that um, and before that I think when I, when I started masturbating And I started using I used to masturbate with like condoms And like you could damn near come Just by putting the condom on So it was like really just a I wasn't ready for all that So you know Like we got to that point And literally I think I only made it maybe Two and a half inches in
1: Wow And I was like Ooh!
0: And then I played all Like I thought I heard somebody coming. Oh shit what's that And then got up and ran to the bathroom so that was my first experience. Did you
1: ever, like, did it get better with her? Well. Did you guys get Yeah, we, we made it yeah, longer okay. than that. I
0: mean, we were together for, right. I mean, probably, a, you know, a year, I think. But um, all we had was missionary sex.
1: Well, of course, that's what you do when you first well, start
0: having sex. Well, yeah, well, not necessarily, because she'd already had sex.
2: Well, but, but it was. But she had just yeah. come out of a
0: situation where, right. so I wasn't asking, I right. wasn't suggesting. Right. So we had her on top or me on top. Right. I don't think there's any oral, yeah. any way around. Yeah. And it was just, you know, very like that.
2: Well, hey.
0: Yeah. And that's,
1: I, that's safe.
0: Dude, I don't even know if I had sex the rest of my high school years after that. I don't know. I'm trying to think, like.
1: So you are going to prepare Aaron any better?
0: I, yeah, I'll be like, think of big fat somethings. Think of the whatever you don't like. If, you, if you're turned on by big women, think of skinny women. If you think of, if you like them both, think of big men. If you like big men, think of little men. I don't know. Just think of something, you know, just so you can you can pace yourself. But you know, I was I'm glad that I was uh, caring. I'm glad that I was super hypersensitive conscious. Where most guys at that time weren't. A lot of the sex was had was at parties with alcohol and people drinking and just kind of doing yeah, no, it. it just
1: know. got through me talking about my first experience and right. it was like uh, no.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, you know, sex wasn't a huge part of my high school years. Um, Making out and, like, falling in love was a huge part of my high school years. (laughs) Love letters. Right. uh, Holding hands and, like, cuddling and, like, crying when you break up and all that. Where
1: did that team go?
0: No, he's in there.
1: Oh, no. He's part
0: part of the committee. He's not the whole committee. Um, Yeah, so... That was pretty much my high school years, but the most important, the changing parts of my high school years, if we're summarizing that, was I started doing graffiti, mm-hmm. discovered graffiti, my mom had a brain aneurysm, I had to mm-hmm. learn I had to be more independent. Um, I went back to Berkeley High for a minute and saw how racially segregated it was, which put me in a state of I don't fit in anywhere, which allowed me to do really long, deep introspection and got really... Um, Comfortable with myself, and learned that being alone didn't mean being lonely. Mm-hmm. And I got to take inventory of myself at an eleventh grade, and then losing my virginity, <laughs> which you know wasn't like the illest thing, but you know it happened. Um, and that would be my high school years, and then rapped a little bit. We rapped for fun, like I'd do a little bit of rapping, like we'd smoke a little weed. As we didn't talk about that, but in my junior year in the summer. So my mom would go away for like a week, and we would just do a weed party. Mm -hmm. So everybody around me would bring some weed to my house, and we'd have, you know, we'd sketch, and we would, you know, play on the keyboard and smoke weed. And then um, we did that first in 10th grade, and then 11th grade we did it, and then my best friend just kept smoking after that, just kept, kept, and kept, and it just like came like a stoner, and I was like, shit is so unsexy to me. And so I stopped smoking weed. Yeah. Because, you know, I was like, this is stupid. And then I had a friend, uncle, I don't know if it was Santa Rita, or someone came over, and they were just like, that was the era where, like, you know, you'd see weed leaves on everything, on hats, and it became a cool thing. And, you know, he was kind of, he was Rasta at the, at the time, and he was just like, you know, this is a sacred herb. This is meant to be um, used for, it's like a sacred herb. And he's like, you know, it's kind of disrespectful and crazy to see people walking around with weed leaves on their, on their hats and their shirts and all this yeah. stuff, and not have any connection with the purpose of the herb
2: right.
0: and he's like you know could you imagine being Native American and like people walking around with peyote leaves on their hats and shit like he's just like and I just felt so stupid at the time because yeah. so I was like you know I never wanted to do anything that I never consciously thought about towards someone would be like why do you do that and I'm like I don't know and so I didn't have a good reason why I did it and I didn't love it enough I want to go get educated about it mm-hmm. so I just stopped and so I literally didn't smoke weed from 1993 Pretty much until... Two years ago. 2015. Right. Like, pretty much straight. Like, maybe yeah. a puff here and there, but not at all. Right. Um,
1: so, okay, so you weren't smoking, you weren't drinking, and you were thinking about ways to uh, be independent. Right. So, was that starting to trigger some, okay, what do I do, how do I become you know, more than just a high school graduate? Like, what do I do?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, junior, senior year, I was like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Go pro? Bye. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. At that point in time, I got so much into graffiti that I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to be a pro skater. All my friends were getting, turning pro, and I was like, more into graffiti. I still skated, but it was more into graffiti. And I didn't know, and my mom had a friend who was working at Willamette University in Salem, Oregon, it was like, hey, you know, I can get you, I can get you a scholarship here um, you know, if you want to come. And I was like, well, you know, that's great, but I don't want to waste it, so let me go to junior college first and figure out what the hell I wanted to do. So, but I had no idea what I wanted to do at all. Like, I really had not an ounce of career thought process.
1: Yeah, but you had that drive. I mean, you've got, I'm trying to get to the point where you give it up, and you're like, yes, at some point... I decided that I wanted to do something that would get me out of where I am and beyond this, where I am. Yeah,
0: I think that was... But that was very early. That was like, you know, part of me identifying that I wanted to be of service to my mom was to figure out how to free her up financially. But in third grade, I wasn't like, I need to start making my plan. But that energy was there. Right. Like, I want to be...
1: Yeah, because people don't just get out of the ghetto. Because, you know it happens
0: right So well, there's a drive and you didn't and there's have, an action motivator right you didn't is,
1: have an outside force that propelled you out of there like you didn't have any rich people that pulled you out of there no yeah you I mean, pulled the action, yourself yeah
0: up. the action motivator was definitely like I wanted to like you know do things I wanted to help my mom so that she'd have to stress over things
1: Right, and you didn't take. I mean, what's what's always been interesting to me is that you didn't take the most common route, which is you go to school, right, right, you get your degree, and then that's your way out. Right, like you didn't do that either.
0: No, and you know, I think when I got out of high school, perhaps that was what I was thinking I would do. Like I, you know, I had a four-year college scholarship to go to, but like, let me go to two-year junior college to figure out what I want to do, mm-hmm. and then go. Right. So that was my plan.
1: Right, so then by the time you spend a couple of months in college, you're like, yeah, that's not what I want to do. Right,
0: yeah. So we'll take a break right now, and then we'll, we made it through high school. Um, there are many things that happened through that time from growing up to then, but it'll just come out the rest of it. But that's a good, decent summary. Um, is there any other things are between zero and high school? Oh, I first um, fingered a girl in sixth in sixth grade.
1: Yeah, good, perfect timing.
0: And she was f- in fifth grade, but she was fast. You know what the meaning "fast" was? Yeah. Yeah, she was fast. Her name was Causeway, <laughs> and we went to go. You know, at that time we go to we go to movies that you didn't care to see. Yeah, yeah. So course. we went to see Moonstruck, which is Cher's movie. Yeah. So we're up. We're up in the back. And um, you know, we're just kind of kissing, and you know, under her pants, and I put my hand down there and like kind of put the middle finger in it. You, you just keep right. finding the gooey, ooey, gooey, and it was really hairy. I did my finger in, it. I was like, "This feels crazy." So did you run out? I kind of hung out and swirled around for a minute, and then came out, and it was like, I went to the bathroom, and was like, "That's crazy!" I just smelled my fingers. <laughs> so I was like. What? And literally didn't touch another punani again probably till like Good. 10th grade. Yeah, there you go. Dry humping yeah. for the rest of the time. Yeah. After that. Just dry humping. That's and, you that know, feels so. scary, yeah. Anyways, that was a random tidbit that I thought All maybe right. mentioned. Okay, we'll go into the break. The Black Russian Podcast, episode 8, the black episode, Buku One, And these songs that you'll be hearing throughout this podcast are actually my songs as an MC. So stay tuned. Spirals, S.O. Technicians. Check it out. The upper playground is where I'm found from now on. We officially graduated, made it to the next plane. The plateau, ready to begin. Two seconds in, the next chapter ascends. S.O.T.s never stop climbing. Progression, the definition of a never ending lesson. Understand, one thing when you combine with us, our best today is not our best tomorrow. In God we trust. Plus the vibration is peace. Yet, attacker is cause life is killer, us, dangerous. I murder us. The wrong way is the path with which you led straight Abandon the truest intention, Cast it away. Fuck it. If you play the role, you get steamrolled. Leave, follow, or out of the way out with the old it's a cold cold world but you've been for don't claim to bring the heat if your shit is lukewarm if so you get spitted out deleted from memory, never again heard about from the tip of the tongue to completely erase you jump in the rat race running at a snail's pace. i'm from a place where fools like that get laughed and laughed at take three months to finish one track we come cd the city planner's out to leave a legacy. No time for bantering, just business handling and dismantling the nitwits. Who's up? Power of a sentence, a to know the ledge and not share it. That's why we travel around the world, yeah, and let them have it. The most high got I provides eye with the animal's eye. Third preferred blind faith like a Jedi. Rock shows in East Germany, The Nazis weren't concerning me. I had my iron shirt and the 200 fans who put in work, not only for me, but for the cause. No longer subconsciously controlled by Babylon's laws. Pause and back to work, cause no time to play. There's a lot to do, and vampires to slay. Put 110% in dedicated to the cause. Take control of your own. Override Babylon's laws. Applause and back to work. You have no time to play, there's a lot to be done, and Vampire to slay. I'll
2: just bless one. The next one, I'll just bless one, 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 one. The next one I'll just I'll just bless one. I'm <laughs>
0: Yeah, and that was the track Upper Playground by yours truly, Wan Tion and produced by DJ Melrock, recorded in Germany.
1: Okay, so back from the break, uh, good time to go into something different.
0: Let's go. Where we so, go? So
1: let's talk about your Black identity. All right. So you have, you know, we talked. you talked about it a little bit, you, you know, grew up with old black family, but then you started skating mm-hmm. and your friends became a mix. Yeah. But then it was separated.
0: Yeah, continue. Was I was separated. just checking your levels. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it was
1: <laughs> so that was that was uh, difficult. Or how um, was it? Yeah,
0: well, because up until that point, it wasn't racially segregated. I grew up in Sacramento, where we, you know, my family and cousins were all black, but we hung out with white kids who would be mixed. Um, and then in the Bay, Berkeley was very multiracial. I grew up around Latinos, primarily, right. like blacks and Latinos. With there were white people all around. We had all of us were just mixed together. Um, and it was never it was never too crazy. it was never like um you know like there were probably subtle things here and there I mean, I'm not sure there was I mean it's racism anywhere, but it just wasn't I had friends of all different stripes and it wasn't really anything crazy but then once the Rodney king uh verdict happened, then it really set it back off, like what was dormant mm-hmm. you know yeah every everyone, every once in a while society kind of goes to sleep and thinks we we've, mm-hmm. we've arrived um and then the reality of what's really going on kind of just picks his head up again and be like, Nope. And so then it got crazy. It got different So did you
1: start feeling being black more? Did um, that become more of an identity for you?
0: You know, it was kind of that just reminded me of all these little things that I would hear from my parents or my my dad my mom, my dad when I was in L A. Um, my uncles and cousins just like how you know, the like not trusting the cops and and you know, brothers going in and out of jail and just uh, you know, different things about you know, when you watch movies like Trading Places. There was all this a lot there's a lot going on. Richard Pryor talked about it a lot. Watched a little comedy. Richard Pryor. So, um, I didn't have this like black as black moment. It was part of my growing up. It was all around me, from the James Brown to Shaft to Richard Pryor to Bill Cosby. But all also was skateboarding different people. So, um, I didn't have a like this specific black education experience. I had a bunch of that, and I had a bunch of Latino and brown experience and, and identity. So
1: you did not inherit like your dad's revolutionary Black Panther
0: drive? No, my first drive was humanitarian. My first drive was people, being good to people and being around good people. Um, and then through life, you learned that certain people had different privileges, Mm -hmm. that you didn't have, and certain people um, did shit that you didn't do. Like, going to my friend's house who were white in the hills, and, like, seeing how they talked to their parents was crazy to me. Mm -hmm. Like, yelling at them, calling them all types of names, like, disobeying them, and, like, just not, I was like, wow, like, that was, like, oh, it was crazy. Like, it was a different planet to me, because I was like, how did that, what? Like, you know, um, so like,
1: so your mom has a very, you know, she's a very strong black woman. I don't ever, you know, and wh- I have whatever relationship her and I have. And, right. But I I don't think I know how she feels about white people.
0: Right. Yeah. Do you? Um, you know, she's never. I don't think she's ever. I've never heard her say anything derogatory. But she's, you know, I mean, she has a mix of friends. But, you know, at the same time, there's probably the way she grew up in Sacramento at the time. There's probably things that just were natural to her. I don't just don't think she made a huge issue about it. Like, she, there's places she went, places she didn't win, I'm sure. Right. Um, You know, the different ways that people did stuff. But it was more for, I think, and for her, she was more like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I'm just going to navigate my life how I do it, knowing where the dangers are and where aren't. Right. Because I have nine, I have, you know, nine nine siblings and I'm just going to, I have to navigate the space and figure out how we're going to get food and stuff. But I I want to say almost it was naturally more segregated than, like, the poor community for the most right. part was poor black people where they were. Right. Um, and as we moved, you know, back into Berkeley and mix it up, it was still predominantly black. You know, there was mix in Berkeley in some parts, but like, we were, where we were in South Berkeley, it was still predominantly right. black. Um
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever felt or heard anything conscious from your mom against white. Yeah. Even when she wasn't too thrilled about you and I getting together, it was not because I was white.
0: No, it definitely wasn't. And you know, I I grew up around some such a mix of kids that by the time You came around, there had already been a whole lot of Latinas and Browns and some Asians and, you know, some, you know. So, you know, she never, never made it clear to me or made me feel weird about having multiracial relationships at all.
1: That's really, like, that that part is really cool. Yeah. So do you think, so now, you know, I mean, from through growing up and now you uh, mostly interact in white environments where it's common for you to be the only black person in the whole big space and you've learned how to navigate that And I mean you feel conscious of you not being white but you don't feel uncomfortable
0: Right, and I think um, you know, skateboarding had a lot to do with that I mean skateboarding, I was in Southern California in like Dana Point in San Clemente right. and <laughs> Oceanside where yeah. it was like you know All white. pretty much white other other than the times when I was with my Latino skaters in the right. hood so skating unified everybody and it really wasn't that in that space we were all looked at as like subculture cellar dwellers like skateboarding wasn't cool then Right. people didn't like skateboarding so cops were didn't like skateboarders like we are all get kicked computer. out everywhere cops hated you um, it wasn't until like you know like the, the Rodney King thing really kind of just rehashed things and that's where I try to you know like um, I would listen to everything from you know while I was listening to Primus and all these like rock things from skate videos I was listening to NWA I was listening to Poor Righteous Teachers I was listening to Public Enemy I was listening to X-Clan and all these pro-black uh, rappers Paris all of it I, I was listening to all of it
1: so do you think that if you stayed in mostly black environments Would you have been a different person? I think for sure.
0: You know, well, I probably wouldn't have felt as comfortable around a bunch of different racial, different races and cultures, um, depending on how I was raised. Mm -hmm. Depends on you know, you know, in one black community, there's 20 different black experiences. Right. So you know, depends on who's raising you. Depends Mm -hmm. on their views. Depends on their experience, um, their level of education or lack thereof or whatever it is. So. But definitely, I mean, the fact that I wasn't made it, I was comfortable wherever I went. I never felt like that was, I never felt weird about that. I was aware that there was different privileges that people had,
1: and they still are,
0: you know. But I, I, became much more aware of that. I think, you know, after the Rodney King riot. riots, so after 1617, which is kind of like yeah. the coming of the yeah. coming of a man, anyways, in that era when you start right, really right
1: when you start understanding, yeah, because we were
0: because I mean, you know, in Senior year, I started dating out here. Like right, I had girlfriends right. out here in Concord and Walnut Creek. Right. And earlier before that, when I was twelve or thirteen, I had my skater friends were out here, which is Dave, which is Chloe's right. friend. Like I was a young dude coming and I would stay out here in Concord and Martinez. So you'd hear some niggers out here. Like you'd be skating and you hear nigger. You know, but my all my friends were these, you know, older skater white dude vagrants who would be like, you know. Don't even worry about. It. They would protect me. They would. It would right. never be a situation because they knew where you know. But I'd hear it, and then when I started dating a girl out here, me and my friend who was black, um, we would catch like the last Bart train and come out here. And we'd be skating from Bart to there, and you'd hear niggers and, like crazy shit. So you, 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 you knew, you knew, you had a natural thing to be alert. That's just kind of like um, the street smarts of just being black. You just kind of you were alert. You know, if you were if you were black and you were raised in the hood or lower, you were you were alert. You were aware of when you when you sense danger, yeah, you know uh you tread it lightly, you knew what you're doing, like if I was raised in the suburbs, I may not know that, I may not be comfortable
1: so that's for all the white you know us white people who don't think that we have the white privilege. I mean that's every time that you know we draw a cop drives by, and I could care less, but you do care, I'm like, oh, it didn't even occur to me to care. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, well, but that's a different podcast. I mean, that's when, right. Well, when it, I call out nice bullshit it. for it, you right.
0: know. <laughs> right when it goes Yoda, it Yoda gets, versus the privilege.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Rage yeah. against the machine, but
0: right. yeah, Um and that's the thing is like it was never. These things were given. These were these were these were rules of engagement. Racism was a rule of engagement. It wasn't even like. It was just what it was.
1: Right, so you didn't fight it, but you learned how to navigate learned it. Learned how to
0: navigate it for survival. No. You know, um, I learned very early how um, how to disarm people who are ever, afraid of black people.
1: Were you ever in a fight?
0: You know what? I don't think I was ever in a fight. And I think between my humor, my quickness, and my height, I was not the target most of the time.
1: Yeah. So you never really had to fight?
0: I've never. You know, I don't think I've ever gotten in a fight. Fight. No, no. You know, like that's.
1: That would be a cool poll to be asking guys. You know. How I many? I would
0: like to think probably eighty five percent of when yeah. I got in a fight, I think what saved me, is. I don't look scary. Meaning, like, I don't look like if you if you come up on me, I'm gonna freak out, and you're gonna smell fear all over me. All right. You know, what, and so I don't look like that. I'm not built like that. Right. I'm not, like, built hella small. I'm not built like that. Like, and um, I'm pretty likable, I guess.
2: Yeah. You know, like,
0: and I'm quick. I was quick. So, like, if we are bombing somewhere and some dude's chased us, like, I'm not getting caught. You know? Well, so you got caught were, a my, few times. Well, yeah, but not by thugs. Yeah. Not by hoods. And no, and I never got chased by cops and got caught. I got Caught when I wasn't running because I didn't think I needed to run because it was, yeah. you know. But um, I my, I think my legs and my mouth were quicker than my my fists. So I either could talk my way out of it, or I just could run my way out of it. <laughs> or you know, people not even being the situation, right? Or people you. just wouldn't come after me. I didn't look right. like, I didn't look and smell like the target, you know. Mm-hmm. And nowadays too, like people like mm-hmm. I just don't look like that type. Yeah. Like I look like the type that maybe I could fuck you up, but yeah. who knows. Right. Maybe I can. Maybe I can't. My mom said that. My mom said that I have a temper, but it takes so much to get my temper. That cause she said one time, you know, some kids were messing with me when I was probably like I don't know eight or nine, and I came in the house mad and stormed right no. by her and went and grabbed a knife, and she was like, "What are you doing?" Like I was like, "These kids are messing with me," and she's like, "No, no, no, honey, put down the knife and gave me a bat."
1: Alright, there you, you know, go, good for mom
0: So did you use the bathroom? No, no, nothing, I don't know yeah. no, but
1: Did you even get out of the house?
0: No, she let me back out of the house okay. But, you know, nothing ended up happening But it, I
1: can't imagine uh, a parent now Being like, no, no This will work better, you go get them We don't
0: want you to charge for murder <laughs> right. We'll do assault, All but right. not murder one so.
1: Imagine yes. No, no, Deja The knife is not good but here, take here, this.
0: Grab these nunchucks. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> so, um, you know, but yeah, I I don't think I've ever I've never um, been in a fist fight. I probably wrestled a little bit, right. um, but no, nah, I've never been I've never been socked in the face. I had one like play fight that got a little heavy, and I got punched in the throat in sixth grade, and that sucked. It's like you got a rock in your throat. But no, nah, I've never been socked in the nose. Never been knocked out. By a human, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's just I'm, I, you know, luckily I don't look like that type that, you know, you want to hit.
1: No, may that stay that way. Yeah. So, um, as you got out of high school and you started actually having real relationships.
0: Oh, they were all real. Well, time. okay, sorry. It's not. It's not for Who you're they talking became, to? Right.
1: Right. Okay
0: it's been very real
1: uh, more serious no they were all serious
0: I'm more mature okay okay.
1: let me ask you this way how did your relationships evolve <laughs> um, after high school
0: right well then yeah, we must have woke up because now the, the, the levels are way better okay um, don't go too far back okay um, how did they um, well more sex I guess but it was still very very like I didn't have sex with anybody I wasn't in a relationship with. Right. Um, it was very much involved.
1: Well, we heard in the monogamy episode how you were a serial monogamist. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. So, um, you know, it never became serious like we're going to get married. I never thought about marriage, but I did think that about, was, you know.
1: You know, that was, in, that was my next kind of general question is, in, how did you envision, did you have thoughts of what you wanted? to do when you wanted to have family like how did you have visions of that did you have ideas about that
0: no nah, it was probably very similar to most people you just kind of you don't you just you fall in love and you ride it out and if that if that ends up being that then you but
1: aside that. from all that like from any specific relationship did you did think, i have a template i would assume that i got think, married at
0: some point and had some kids right that but was,
1: you had no no idea what, how, where.
0: Nope, I knew I was gonna name one Deja and name where? the second one says there
1: So we're having everyone. <laughs> we're having a second one. I don't know. How the second so one is gonna what? be a
0: sack. It's gonna be a sack of flour. That's what the second one was. Oh well,
2: come on. <laughs> uh
0: uh-uh. uh, Sandra asked me that today, like or yesterday. She's like, "You guys, you
2: gonna have another one?"
0: I'm gonna have another one.
1: You can't go through the whole pregnancy thing again. Your body just uh, yeah. I don't know if yeah. I'll recover. Yeah, yeah. Can't the handle, whole postpartum uh, thing. Can't handle yeah. the morning sickness. The breastfeeding. Yeah, uh, too much.
0: Yeah, but no, I didn't think about marriage or when I wanted or kids until I was like twenty five. Going until I have this career thing, because I wonder. My whole goal after my mom had her aneurysm was to free my mom up. Right. So my whole commitment was I need to figure out a way to do that. So through, you know, going to college for a while and figuring out that. That wasn't gonna. That was cool, but I, you know the things I was studying were great. I studied neuropsychology, dynamics of human, you know, interpersonal communication, and human sexuality. It's all people things. It's great, but I didn't want to work. I don't want to be a psychologist.
1: Right. So then, I mean, we. Uh, so you worked a little here and there after that, and then you got into the whole rap scene, and then you studied You got into the tour management, and that's when we had our. Tour life episode,
2: right?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, that's a lot of <laughs> shit in between there. But yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna ride it out the way you narrate it. Well, no, I, I was
1: just I was just interested in seeing if you had a vision of you know beyond point, beyond just yeah. No, at some point no, no, in no. my life, I was gonna get married. And I, I just kids. knew at
0: some point it would, but that was the most important thing was becoming financially independent so I could free my mom up. Everything else was secondary to that. I had to figure out how to deal with relationships where I could say that. Because I, I knew myself, I knew up until that point, relationships were the world to me. So if I was in a relationship and where the relationship wanted to go and where my career wanted to go splintered, I would choose a relationship and let my, my, my career suffer. And so I got to the point where I was like, I can't do that. My mom's like getting any younger. So I had to, like, I had to start. That was part of the, probably the... That was probably the precursor to the open relationships for me, was that I had, my mom was my commitment, right. so everything else was secondary to that, which meant I couldn't guarantee that I would be their only one, because my mom was mine, and I had to focus on that. If it meant touring and being gone forever, then that's what it was going to be, so I had to start trying to like, well, what does that look like in a relationship form? That was probably the early stages of the transformation of that stuff, other than my ultimate right. friends. Right, and
1: that's that's when you you know, whoever you had a serious relationship with, when you and I started getting together mm-hmm. that was that was kind of the breaking point there, where yeah. you were just not ready to settle down and uh, commit yeah. to all that, because you weren't done working on you know, getting yourself in a situation where you could provide for your mom.
0: Yeah, and for in that point in my life, uh, financial independence was the most important thing out of anything else.
1: Yeah, and I was around you then, so I, you know, I was around you when you were going through that process of breaking up, and it was not, uh, it was not dramatic for you. Yeah. I don't remember it being dramatic at all. Like you made the decision that it wasn't going to work. And that was that.
0: Yeah. I mean the situation was, you know, we were getting close to 30. I think we were like 27, yeah, were
2: 28. 27, yeah.
0: And you know, she kept saying, "Well, how do I know you're not going to, you know, you what if you never settle down?" Right. How do I know you're going to settle down? I don't want to wait till you're, I'm 30 and then you say you're not going to settle down and not, and I want to have kids soon. So my thing was like, well, after hearing that for enough times like, well, you know what? It sounds like you want more than what I can provide. And by all means you deserve that. So I think we should break up so you can go do that.
1: And that's always that always comes
0: as a shock.
2: Right. Yeah. She was like,
0: No, no, that's not what I meant. And I'm like, no, no, it's very clear what you've meant because you've been saying it enough and it sounds like, you know, I don't want to be the reason you don't have kids when you want to have kids.
1: Okay, so that takes me right into my last point, the main point, and then I have more stuff for you. So the way that you handle that, what you just described, Mm -hmm. where you uh, heard that sentiment a few times and then you processed it and you made your own decision and you went okay, well, I cannot provide what you want. Clearly, you right. have expressed what you want. I cannot provide it. Therefore, you just got to do what you got to do. Right. Like, that's that's a major... That's, that's one of the main principles of how you operate. Like, you're, you have a set of principles on how you operate. And right. that, that one is one of the strongest ones where words mean exactly what they mean. Yeah. And um, there is not once the words come out, especially if they come out more than once, they will be processed and they will be processed accordingly and there is no taking back.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, I was like, my mom, my mom never said shit she didn't mean. So I learned, that's how I've learned, like, you don't say shit you don't mean no matter when you say it. You don't do it. So my mom says, you need to go to your room right now, Yep. then I'm going to go to my room pretty quickly after that. Or if she says, you know what, I don't want to talk to you right now. Like, that's what she meant. Um, There was never any any room for her. She would never fly off the handle and call me out of my name and call me crazy shit because she was mad. Like, that just never happened. So I just learned, that's just how I learned. Like, I take people for what they say. Because that's just how I was raised. And I learned to only say shit that I mean or try to minimize ever doing that. So I never, you know, really got to that point where I would say shit I don't mean. It just To me, your words meant so much more. Um, and you can't really unsay things. It's really hard to unsay things.
1: So you really, there is no give, like there is no leeway for other people to, like you if, if they grew up in... in different circumstance, right. and they grew up where, you know, maybe in the family where you can just lose it and say whatever, and then ten minutes later, everyone's fine, and everything that was said before is forgotten. Right. Like, that does not
0: work for you at all. You know, in my, in my later years, I understand that, and I can respect people who have that, but that's not for me.
1: Right. So it doesn't work so for you like, at all. It doesn't mean nah, that you're nah. going to give.
0: You, you can't, like, if, if we, if you can't, not. Nah. To me, it's like you got to, you're responsible for your words and your actions.
1: Right. So that's, it's like my next thing is that, you know, uh, you hold yourself responsible for your side of whatever bargain you right. are in, and you hold the other side responsible to their end yeah. of the bargain,
0: yeah. I mean that like well, you know it's one of those things that you'll 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 you've heard probably a thousand times like you have the right to do or say whatever you want to say. And I also have the right to respond however I'm going to respond.
1: Yes, and I have heard that about a million <laughs> times and every single time it sucks.
0: Yeah. So I I'm, I'm not the type of person to tell somebody that they what they can and can't do. Right. You know what what I've learned one of the things I learned in in uh uh, my human, internet, it was called Communication 101, the Dynamics of Interpersonal Communication um, in junior college was that you know, your perception of reality is yours nobody sees reality fully, everyone sees their own perception based upon their filters and that if I, we can both be talking about the same thing and have a different, different view on it it's totally fine it is um, so
1: funny. You know how I always say that I'm slow? Right. Did you see what I posted the other day? Like literally yesterday on Facebook? you never see my post. Either. I think I
0: saw it, but I'll, I'll let you say it.
1: So that was exactly like it occurred to me. I'm 45, right? Um, I post. Something that I realized that my recollection of events. Oh, yeah. It's totally really different from what else yeah. Just my recollection of events, which can be totally, yeah, we completely see different. We all seem very
0: different. Yeah. And, and the one thing, I, one thing that really stuck to me is like, if that's the case, and if you love how you do things in your life as much as I love how I do things in my life, I shouldn't be trying to change what you're trying to do. Because I would yeah. not want you to do that to me. Yeah. And that, once I learned that, I was like, oh, that, that was agree to disagree. So how did you learn that? Just through neuropsychology and realizing, like, yo, I don't like being told what to do. I don't like being told that I that what I'm doing is not right because I I super overanalyze and vet what I do, um, and I make mistakes, but I'm very thorough about it. And you can correct me, but but you know you can't make me do things in another person's way. Just can't. But then I didn't reciprocate that.
1: Oh God, God
0: knows being didn't. the being the Virgo the unrefined Virgo that I was for a lot of years my thing was this if if I'm trying to make a point and you're not agreeing with me it's not because you're not agreeing with me it's because I'm not explaining it right oh
1: that's so annoying oh god (laughs) so
0: let me try a different way yeah no let me try it because I'm thinking the premise is that we there's only one reality
2: yeah
0: and mine is based upon science mine is based upon scientific fact I I will never pretend like I'm I know some shit I don't know. Like, I just wouldn't do that. Like, you know, I want to be caught out there. So I'm like, dude, if you're not understanding this, it's not because you disagree. It's just I'm not explaining myself right, and I got to work on that. So I would just uh, drill and drill and uh, drill and uh, drill, not realizing that. Um, although I'm trying to create understanding, I'm being an asshole. Yeah. So I had to learn it. I had to refine the, my Virgo. But one of the big ones, part of that was, you know, if you value your way of doing things as much as i do then i shouldn't try to change your shit cuz i certainly would want you to try to change mine
2: yeah
0: and that's been that was the the early agree to disagree that was like you know yeah. people two people can see something that's totally different ways and you know what they both can be right and i don't have to accept yours and you don't have to accept mine but if i respect the fact that you believe yours as much as i believe mine okay like we don't have to like duel to the death you know know, has all
1: these principles that, you know, what's, what's always funny to me is that people think that you're so nice and kind and uh, heartwarming and you're willing to spend all this time and energy to help them with their stuff and then they do something and they run into this brick wall and they're like, whoa, what just happened? And I'm like, oh, this is Teon.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, I mean... The, you and know, then they
1: run into, into the, it again, thinking that it's going to change. And like, yeah, yeah it's just going to get thicker.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty... And the, the one thing about me is I'm pretty predictable. Like, I can tell you how I am, how I work, how I feel, and how things go. Like, I can tell you completely without any shadow of a doubt And then I'll warn people when it's getting that way. And I'll give examples long before, you know. So I think what happens is I guess maybe people aren't used to people being so transparent. I I don't know what it is.
1: Different people like, okay, I'm a Gemini. I will never learn based on what you tell me or anybody else tells me. You can warn me a million times. Until I run into that brick wall enough times to assure myself right. on my own stubborn head that no, this is a brick wall. Right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take it seriously.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. And the cool so, thing is, is once you hit the brick wall a few times, and you remember that I told you about the brick wall, then right. it just adds to the help. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't completely not yeah, no, you know, it does not. No, you know, I
1: mean, you could totally come up with something else now, and I, I'm, I'm going to have to experience yeah, it. Yeah,
0: I've learned that my first love yeah. of my life, Samuela, was a Gemini, and <laughs> one thing I learned the difference was very early, is that, you know, Virgos think twice as much as they do, and Geminis do twice as much as they think. Yep. In the sense that, like, I can watch someone get hit by a car, because they didn't look both ways, from, and be like, "Ooh, I'm gonna look both ways," because I don't want to get hit by that car.
1: Yeah, and i will think like, "No, I'm better than them." Yeah, um, be like, that's, so like, them. Yeah, that's their experience. Yeah, Fuck it, totally. I'm just gonna yeah. still close my eyes and go out in the For street. Sure.
0: And I'll be the one that's yeah. like, cringing as they're walking across the street. And, and a lot of times, the will make it across the street. But... I just
1: was just having a conversation with my sister. She's like, "Yeah, someday you're gonna learn to listen to adults." I'm like, "Hell no! You are old people. Should know me by now. I'm right. never gonna
0: listen like, to anyone." But yeah, you know, and that's the thing is like you know, um, I always like I really, really study myself and work really, really hard to be able to translate and communicate from a very early age because of my desire to be a pleasure to my mom is to be a better communicator to women and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's always um, alarming, shocking, baffling to me when someone says I, I'm not communicating clearly. I'm like, no, there, there's many things I, I, I am. I can be mean, I can be robotic, I can be compartmentalizing, I can be cold, I can be those things, but one of the things I'm pretty sure I'm not, is I'm what not mean? unclear. Yeah, well, I never mean. You never mean.
2: I
1: mean, mean <laughs> is when you do it on purpose. I mean, you could... Right. I mean, well, yeah. you could hurt my feelings or somebody else's feelings just by being you. Right. But, but that's not on purpose. Yeah.
0: I don't like to hurt. I don't. I, I've been. I'm so hypersensitive of other people's feelings um, that I don't like to. Uh, I don't like to intentionally hurt people. You know, protecting myself and my space, I guess that hurts people. If I'm unwavering in my way that I do things, I guess that hurts somebody. Um, if I choose to disengage, that can hurt somebody, but uh, I
1: think that like, the most the strongest thing about you is how much you value yourself and how uh, how much you will protect yourself
0: yeah I mean I, I live by my karma one, so I'm never going to do anything to somebody else that's going to affect my karma, so they're protected by that but my vessel my mind and my spirit and my emotions are the most important that's my capital that's all I have that's my main forms of capital um and if I'm not a, if I'm aware that someone is not beneficial to me then it's response I'm responsible for how how much I still allow that person in my life and for how long and whatever whatever detriment that happens in my life at that point is no longer that person's fault it's my fault yeah no. So, no, I've, you know.
1: I've heard people, you know, complain about you being selfish and all that. And I actually have uh, told people that, that have been to our house. <clears throat> you know, um, I have a couple of years ago, I've created this thing where I wrote uh, the best thing about each member of our family and then we framed it. So the best thing about Teon is his uh, selfish nature, is how completely selfish And I said it as a best thing because there's a lot to learn from that. And I think that uh, when we automatically assume that selfish is bad, that's a very dangerous uh, way of thinking. That's how people get themselves into situations where they die emotionally, where they get abused physically, emotionally and uh, get stuck. And if you uh, if you change the perspective filter on how uh, you even perceive the word selfish, and you add some of that to your life, then it's just so much better for everyone. Like you know, with you, I feel like I don't have to double check. That uh, if I asked you if you wanted to do something or if you wanted this or you wanted that, and you give me an answer, I don't have to double check, right? Because I know you. You know what you want,
0: right? Yeah. And what you don't I'm want. I to say, I don't. am not a big fan of surprises. So for my mom for Christmas, she'd just be like, "What do you want?" And I tell her, and she get it, and I'd be happy. Yeah. Like surprises would give me anxiety. But yeah, you know, I'm very selfish, but I'm selfish in the way of, like Napoleon Hill would say, it is, it is literally true that you can succeed best and quickest by helping others succeed. So that's how I'm selfish, is that lead, follow, or get out of the way. That's, that's my deal. It's like, you can lead. I don't, I don't mind following you. I don't mind following. I don't mind learning. I love to learn. Like, show me something I don't know. There's nothing more that I like. Than being around some alpha ass women, some goddesses who are empowered, smart, passionate, who know shit that I don't know. I will sit back and well, listen. Oh, that has
1: nothing to that. do with being selfish. No, but I'm selfish. saying
0: that like I don't have a problem. I'm not selfish in the way that I need everybody's energy. Like I'm well, selfish. That's I just need narcissism. my narcissism. That's right. not being selfish. Right. But that's, that's the, like the people's assumption of what selfish is. You know, but no. Like, I
1: think people's assumption of what selfish is is, I think that we are taught to put other people's interests above ours. Right. And uh, you know, your way of being selfish is putting the oxygen mask on yourself first, so that you can then help other people, versus right. depleting yourself to the point where you are no longer able to help anybody else.
2: Right.
0: So that's
1: yeah. that's the that's the selfish. The other parts are you right. know different things. Yeah, and that's
0: you know and that's and that's the true. That's where the agreeing to disagree comes in. Like if we can't work it out together, you know, then we separate. and We work it out on our own, and we see if we can we want to come back together or not.
1: So, what does it take for you to make a change?
0: Um, if I feel that the situation is a detriment to me, beyond repair.
1: No, a change in what you believe is
0: good for you. Oh. I'm committed I I am committed to truth, logic and efficiency. So show me a better way. And if it makes sense to me then I'm gone. I'm well, it.
1: that's a clue if it does not if that makes sense to you yeah. because I can show you a way that I think is better. Right. But if you don't think it's better then right. you're not gonna change.
0: Right. But um yeah, so I mean it's you know, I seek I I seek knowledge, I seek to grow, I seek to be to refine. Um and I know that all of that is not already within myself right it comes from other people other experiences books mentors um so i don't i don't feel or think or have any desire that, that i feel like i know it all already or any of that stuff so a lot of times i'm stubborn because i'm proactively looking and seeking all the time to refine and so you know um i try to minimize the times where i'm caught out there where like like, one of my worst and uh, most uncomfortable things ever is being checked. Meaning, like, doing something that I've got, I shouldn't be doing, I know I should be doing, and I've, I'm leaking, and someone's like, but, like, you know you shouldn't have been doing that. I'm like, you know, you're right. I was like, I just hate that feeling. I won't run from it, but I'll just squirm and be like, ooh, mental t- mental note to self minimizes chances where this happens. So, my Virgo mind, like, I literally prepare myself to answer questions about things that I do that people will never ask me, I'm constantly doing mental inventory and checking my gauges and points of reference and all these different things to where I have a decent awareness of my balance. and it's not just from self-reference. like I have several points of reference all through my life that help me help me know if I'm off track or not. You know, one of them is karma, one of them is results. So it's really hard to tell me that I'm not doing what I should be doing if the results of my life are like no nah, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing by the look at the results especially if the other person's results in their life ain't really showing that, that their way is really bearing fruit for them <laughs> so that's where I was like that's the resume song you know no. think twice before heeding what they say check the references peep the resume if they ain't been to the promised land tell them sorry they're not qualified to give me directions you know
1: alright so to wrap it all up, I did my survey. I made sure you didn't see it.
0: I didn't see it. So you don't Why didn't you know. ask me about the survey? <laughs> so you,
1: don't know, you didn't ask me last time. No. No. That's true. Mm-hmm. You don't even know who I surveyed. No. Nope. No. Okay. Eight people.
0: I'm assuming it's probably the same eight. Maybe you added one yeah. or two. She made a couple new friends yeah. in the last few weeks.
1: Mm. All right. So question number one was how long have you known Tion? And that range goes from a few years to 26 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what is Tion's most important contribution to your life so far? You want to hear it?
0: I, I would assume so. <laughs> no, I don't want to hear it. It's <laughs> that's in this episode right now.
1: All right, so it's seeing that vulnerability in a male isn't a bad thing. It's necessary for true acceptance and love. That's one. Uh, two, back in 2012, he gave me a decent talking to. Some went in one ear and out the other. Some is still with me. 2012. That's, that's a big contribution to someone's life. Very important.
0: 2012? Yep. Was that a man or a woman? It's a woman. Oh.
1: Him being a reflection of a positive African American man in a world where we are a minor- minority amongst our
0: race. Okay, well, that's a man—the black man. man. That's the black
1: man? <laughs> All right, this is a, this is tough to answer. One obvious answer is showing me a majority of the U.S. believing in my artistry, even when I de- didn't. Don't trying to convince me there is a reward in certain risks. I'm still too afraid to take risks, but he has shown me sometimes it pays off. Your free spirit.
0: Yeah.
1: Are you puzzled? Yeah. All right. His friendship, wisdom, and giving me a chance to get involved in the music industry. Okay. That, that was that's a big contribution. Sure. Extremely good listener and always willing to share his thoughts of a situation also being just being a fucking awesome silly fun human being and you too bringing uh, and you too bringing deja into the world and becoming a great father to your children someone said i think it may be you yula but also his sustaining friendship through so many different stages in life that is a very rare thing that one person gives another
0: I know I know who these aren't from.
1: <laughs> All right. then the last one, the contribution to someone's life, is teaching me what work-life balance looks like by being an example of it.
0: Pretty cool? Do I get to know who these people are?
1: Well, yeah. Off, the, off okay. the show, yeah. Okay, fine. All right. Number three, what is Tion's coolest, silliest, awesomest feature?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I already know what's coming after number three. Let's hear it.
1: <laughs> Oh, are you afraid? No, I'm not okay, afraid. Okay, All right, good. Because there's some <laughs> real stuff there. I know. All right. So, number one, his coolest, silliest, awesomest feature. His fucking brain. He ties in concepts from mundane to mathematical, if he wants, and does it all with one sentence. There's no range for how his mind works. It's everywhere and ties it to everything. Number two. His ability to fit in everywhere, adults, kids, he's adaptable to all situations. Mm -hmm. His front foot impossibles and the fact that he wears those tights under his clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Professional, big kid. His ability to to typically be ahead of the curve when it comes to music and business. The fact that he still allows his inner child to consistently shine through via skateboarding, graffiti, rapping, DJ, etc. In all the years I've known him, I don't think I've ever seen him anything but pretty mellow. Sure, he's passionate, but even when he's excited, there's a calm. I love that about him, and I find that personally it rubs off on me. And his youthful exuberance. Mm. <laughs> all da right, ta-da-da-da! Yeah. <laughs> what is Tion's most annoying feature habit? And I asked, please do not tell me he does not have any. I will you call you out if you do.
0: You like I said the precursor I was like, don't don't play.
1: And do not play. Okay, well two people flicked on me. Three uh, people flaked on me.
0: Some of the people who commented earlier didn't come. Yes.
1: On they said ha 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 it's a good thing. Oh, okay, no, this one actually said something, but turned it into a good thing. I get uncomfortable when he looks me in the eyes because he sees too much. And I I haven't had enough one-on-one time to get annoyed yet. Okay, second one. I won't say he doesn't have any, but since I only see him a handful of times throughout the year, there aren't any I've noticed. Ooh, ooh, sure, ooh, sure. Are well, you calling that, bullshit on that one? Yeah, just I'm didn't calling bullshit because there's definitely times when you got under this person's skin uh, okay. and she did not like that at all, right. but didn't call you out. Oh. So, <laughs> 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 okay. Uh-huh, I truly do not know of anything annoying about him. Yeah, I'll let this one slide. <laughs> All right, now we're getting into the good stuff. Okay. All right. Expecting others to have the confidence and occasional fly by the seat of your pants approach to things only because he is well versed in his practices. Some don't have the same support system in place to make uh, to make sure. He doesn't completely flounder, so it makes it harder to see the payoff. Right. As in, you disregard that other people have different circumstances, perhaps?
0: It's possible.
1: All right. For me, he's being a smart ass when you're trying to be serious. <laughs> Quite annoying. I Does totally agree. Yes. This only happened on the road, though. All right, this one a number of people would say it. Him gleeking in my face, so gross. And if you ask him to stop, he does it more and giggles away while he's doing it.
0: (laughs) Oh yes, well, gleeking is a way of showing love.
1: Okay. The last one, my favorite. That this person takes the takes the prize well the food stuff so annoying in all caps and sometimes i think he has a hard time understanding how traumatic being a woman can be and how that impacts us deeply i've sensed over the years that sometimes he wishes i'd move on past something and i'm like Nah, i gotta sit on this a little longer maybe it's a patience thing mm, that's a good one that is a good one i think there is one last one <laughs> uh, that somehow I missed perhaps if I can find it here okay let's find it okay so the last one says lack of a serious black-faced man all his pictures and album covers look like he's about to bake some cookies for the squad <laughs> <laughs> oh, what <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my goodness
1: you better get that serious face on dude where would you
0: pull that one from
1: <laughs> I got my sources
0: dude my album my you don't know 12 inch album cover I have the hardest look ever
1: <laughs> oh maybe you're
0: hardest so, so looking, looking down. Man. And looking up, yeah. You well, can't then, and then cookies.
1: everyone's laughing at it. <laughs> yeah,
0: I just think people know me too well. It's hard to, hard to be a, a gangster. <laughs> That's funny. I, you know, we should have played a game where I like you put all the names on a board, or you have about a panel, and then I try to guess who said what. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that would
1: take about an Bakes hour. baking
0: cookies. God, who did you talk to? <laughs> Who's I that got, one? I got, That's like, funny. someone
1: That has known you for like ten years. Obviously, a black man. Right. Yeah. I'm you get you
0: get Elder up? No, I I'm just kidding. I'm just hate kidding. Hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you know. I mean I mean like like that's cool. All of, all of the stuff, you know, good and I mean I could I could probably make a longer list of bad ones, but of I, course. I appreciate it's being, just that, being nice. Yeah, but no, they don't they have try to
1: try to yeah, no, I don't I I. it's don't don't try to be nice next time. It's just you can not be. sometimes
0: cool. it's helpful. I mean it's you know, for me the bad things Um, because, you know, I spend so much time thinking about myself and, and how I affect people and I really labor on how I affect people in negative ways. Like I really, I had to learn to like, sometimes you're just going to piss people off. Just Sometimes being yourself just pisses people off. So you can't over cater, but I'm still hypersensitive to it. Um, but so I'm fully aware of. How I come off and how I rub people wrong ways and the many different ways I can do that and come off as an asshole. Sometimes when I the way that I do things, um, I'll look back like, ooh, like there's probably a better way to do that.
1: So do you go back and apologize?
0: If I can, if I'm allowed to, <clears throat> you know. So, you know, and that's the thing is I've learned that um, when you make a mistake or you hurt somebody's feelings. Um, You can reach out to them and try to make men's, but it's up to them to want to give you the space or not. And you have to respect that, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's one person in our lives that, you know, um, we navigated a turbulent space and it didn't work out well for the person. She was just like, yo, this shit does not work. It's not, not going to work for me. And I was like, oh, okay. And there was nothing I could do. I didn't try to hit them. I didn't try to convince them otherwise. And it wasn't until that person was open to dialogue that we had dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't have a pride situation to where if I make a mistake, I'm afraid to admit it and apologize and try to I see mean, if we can move forward. You
1: get extremely sensitive about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, certain things are just not comfortable regardless. But um, they're, the right thing is not to be completely avoided. It may take a while. It may squirm while you're doing it. And it may not come out gracefully. But I'd rather that and get to some resolution than be haunted by the fact that I know I fucked up and did something bad and didn't and front it like I never did. You know, because your karma knows. Your, your, you know, your voice of reason knows. Your voice of reason is like, yeah, you know, but you know, deep down inside, like you may have convinced them that you didn't do anything wrong, but you know you did, that wasn't right.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: So, you know, I, I sleep better when I don't have many of those. I try to uh, minimize those.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that I have so little concern for being proven right or wrong that I, am, uh, I have no problems apologizing at all. Right. I'm like, I'll apologize for stuff I didn't do if that makes you feel better, because I could care less. Like, I know what I did right or what I did wrong, and if it makes you feel better if I apologize, great, I'll apologize.
0: Yeah, but that shit don't ever make me feel better.
1: Yeah, sometimes it does.
0: Nah, it's like faking an orgasm. It's just like, <laughs> don't ever apologize for some shit you don't feel like you should apologize for. I'd rather deal with the truth. And if the truth is like, fuck it, I don't, I don't apologize. I meant that. I'm like, okay, well, I'll respond accordingly based upon your reality. You know, like, you know, like if you're no, like, I, I mean, didn't have I... an orgasm, I'll be like, well, shit. Like, <laughs> I'd rather the honesty. You know, because I did. Good night. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um. Yeah. So there. Ah. Sorry. Wow.
1: Okay. Well, that's all I had.
0: All right. Well, that's you know that's that's quite a bit. We made it through, like we normally do. it's A couple hours and feel like it went by fast. And there's hell of shit that we didn't cover, which means there will be a lengthy podcast life because all the little things about who we are. And what we do will come out through all these different things. Um, But we thought it was really cool for us to just give each of us a concentrated episode for you guys to get a little more of the backstory um, to add some colors. And hopefully it helps. Hopefully you learn more about us. And hopefully if we've pissed you off dramatically, um, you hopefully have a better understanding of how we work. Um, And what else? Uh, <laughs> That's it. I
1: think I put all of my all of my uh, concentrated <coughs> thoughts on how we work into the little opening statement. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. might, you know, that might be the most important part of this whole thing.
0: All right. Well, my closing before we go into the gratefuls would be um, thank everybody who participated, who wrote in. Um, next time, you can totally write badder shit. <laughs> There's more real shit. Um
1: and if you all think of something after you listen to never this, never too late. Never too late. Please write. I'd love to hear She'll it. So bring it
0: up on the show the next sure. episode. I um, feel I
1: feel empowered when other people find things that are freaking like, fucking annoying. I'm like, "See, he's not a freaking like angel to be put on a pedestal." Mm-mm. Don't no, put me on Don't put me on a pedestal, please. He's a fucking asshole, Virgo. Yeah.
0: and that's totally fine to say that that's totally fine, it's a term of endearment I've learned Um, but yeah, just so you guys, everyone knows who's close, or not close um, I never have any intention on hurting anybody Um, but I understand my mentors have taught me that sometimes your growth and your changing will hurt somebody Um, sometimes disagreeing with somebody will hurt somebody Um, and sometimes just having a different way will hurt each other, Um, but never anything out of malice. And I live by my karma and I work to strive to get closer to my karma, my connection. And I appreciate you guys, all of you guys who played a role and play a role in helping me be one of my many points of reflection, because a lot of you guys may not know it, but you actually are one of my points of reflection. And based upon our relationship and how we interact, it helps me understand if I'm on the right path. Um, and you guys all play a bigger role in my life than you probably realize you do. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you. And so that is the Black Russian Podcast. This is the last track. One of my songs called Habits. I don't know if most of you guys know or not know, but I rap and I've put out a lot of albums and I've toured a lot and we didn't talk much about the MC stuff, but that's, there's another time for that. Uh, but this my last song I'll play. It's called Habits. It goes a lot of good things like that. Hope you guys enjoy it. Black Russian podcast, episode eight. The black episode, the origins of the black fletch. And uh, today, okay, I'm grateful for some spring weather. I'm definitely yeah. grateful for the spring weather. I was
1: going to say sunshine. Yeah. I'm grateful for the time change because it gives us more of a daylight and at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. That is worth being grateful for. Totally. Um, I'm grateful for creating new habits and sticking to them.
2: <laughs>
0: you know, it's not always easy, and uh, you know, I appreciate all the faculties and things and surroundings and Ula, and making it easier for me to stick to my habits till they become the new habits until they become my habits.
1: I mean it only t- took like fifteen years, but hey, mm-hmm. slowly but surely, I'm a tortoise, yeah, so all of uh, all of you guys that are trying to change habits, yeah, this one has taken a long time,
0: mm mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I think you have one more
1: one more for our awesomest kids in the whole wide world,
0: <laughs> they are the best kids that we could ever have, totally, and if you have kids, yours are the best kids you could ever have for sure. too. I just
1: like being grateful for these three.
0: Yeah. This is very grateful. Um, yeah, grateful for, man, well, so many different things to be grateful for. But yeah, grateful for health, grateful for family health, grateful for my mom being in good health and good spirits. Uh, my uncle passed away. And it was one of those situations where it was a blessing that he passed away.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so, you know. May he ascend in peace. It's not, a, it's not a time of mourning for him. It's a time of uh, release. and a time of ascension. So that is all. Thank you guys for listening. Please feel free always to comment, chime in, send messages, opinions, thoughts. Because we listen and we care. Thank I'm, you. I'm Tian Bukuwan. And I'm Yula. We are the Black Russian Podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Golder in the process, obsess some say about the way I go about my BI without the disease Don't sleep, gotta keep it moving Go to bed, ponder, wake up, concluding James addiction, ritual they low, I ritual they love, so rhythmical I'm city confidential with my blueprint, loop. take bigger wealth can't we know them loose lips Sink ships, so I'm Helen Keller with my Venantella tricks up the train We just let them grow Wearing them like a tattoo etched in stone But it was written that they were not I and I can identify with the right Guidance they quantify to headed toward the heights Sight your coach and adjust your approach And if your friends and friends Then not your, your friends, friends. Offers them up like sage Turn the page Step into the AM on the next day Downside are clicking up scale your way Know that your karma is what paves your road So look below hey walking on marble or cobblestone look around this is your inception your world's perception these are your projections